listener, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Wednesday. I always struggle getting up on a Wednesday. And this morning, for the first time since doing this job, my alarm went off. And I very nearly hit the snooze button. Now, the snooze button is deadly. Not literally, otherwise they wouldn't be allowed to put it on the machines. But it's not a good thing. I didn't hit the snooze. I'm up. I'm here, which is good. Lots of things on the show this morning, including some naughty things. If you've got young ears, we'll try and do the naughty things in a frequency that's so high they can't pick up on it. There'll be no awkward questions, hopefully. But coming up in the next hour, you'll be hearing about controversial plans for an incinerator in Hatfield. If you're retired... Should you have to work for your pension? Former Benefits Chief Lord Bichard thinks so. And just 3% of people go on blind dates. Now, I don't know anyone that's ever been on a blind date. Did you? You can email me, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or you can give me a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. I like it when stories start with the words controversial plans. That means, that means we're in for a humdinger. There are controversial plans to build an incinerator on Greenbelt land in Hertfordshire, and they're being discussed today. The proposal, which involves moving a special school, is being opposed by local residents in Hatfield and the local Tory MP, Grant Shapps. Councillors on the Development Control Committee at Hertfordshire County Council are being advised to approve the plans. Our reporter, Tony Fisher, joins me in the studio. Morning, Tony. Morning, Ian. Tell us about this incinerator and why it's so controversial. Well, it's not small for a start. Um, It's 170 metres long, 150 metres wide, 41 metres high. The two chimney stacks would be 75 metres from the ground. That's massive. That is big. Yeah. Um, Although I think it's the same size as one in Buckinghamshire. It's uh, not as big as the one that would be could be built in Bedfordshire, but we'll come to that in a minute. Right. Um, it's basically sandwiched between two places, Hatfield to the north and a little village called Wellham Green to the south. Um, but it's right next to a, a special school and the Grade 1 listed Hatfield House and Park. Now, local councils like Wellham Hatfield are opposed to it because of its size and the possible impact on traffic and the community. Uh, protesters say it's an ugly intrusion on the, on the, on the landscape and there will be a huge increase in lorry movements if it were to be built. Um, they say locals' health could be impacted and wildlife also damaged. Now, there's been an organisation which is basically comprising of the various opposition groups called the New Barnfield Trust, and that's been formed, which has raised so far £60,000 to fight this application, and uh, one of the people behind that is the local Tory MP, Grant Shapps. Mm. Um, now, he's written to the Secretary of State, Eric Pickles, who he used to work under when he was at the uh, Department for Communities and Local Government, uh, to ask him to call it in if it is approved by the Tory-run Hertfordshire County Council. Uh, now, the authority says, for its part, it's obliged by law to limit the amount of waste it sends to landfill, you know, not least because of landfill tax and that sort of thing. This site provides the best option to burn locally produced waste in the county, as well as commercial or industrial waste. Um, however, it does admit that it would be harmful to the green belt. It would result in an adverse visual impact upon the local landscape character and moderate harm to a Grade 1 listed heritage asset, which is Hatfield House. And there would also be minor harm to a number of local wildlife sites. It's, it's interesting they're saying it, it will be harmful and damaging and ugly, because normally they go, oh, no, it'll be fine. No, you won't notice a thing. Well, yes, I think... Uh, but they say this is the best spot for it. Right. Um, they've looked at all the other possible alternatives. Uh, they started with this one, but they think this is the best spot. They say it's the best spot. It's going to involve moving a special school... 
and then moving it back again. That's that right. sounds ridiculous. It, it does sound ridiculous. Uh, they say they intend to temporarily relocate this special school, Southfield School, which has 72 pupils, move it to another site uh, called Howdell. Uh, they were going to move the, move them there in about next summer 2013 so no disruption in theory in terms of not moving the midterm or anything like that they're going to build a purpose-built school then they're going to return those pupils from that school back to where they came from brilliant to the original site right next door to the incinerator that won't be disruptive at all will it no 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 um the council doesn't seem to think so it says there would be there would not be a significant adverse impact i quote upon the pupils at southfield school as a result of the temporary school relocation and nor as a result of the presence and operation of an incinerator next door to the school its head teacher is libby duggan we will make sure that we have got lots of support in there so there's lots we can do through our website with photographs with visits to a new site with individual books showing what our new school will be like involving pupils in the planning process later down the line so actually it's it's going to be quite exciting for us and uh, are you going to have to educate them in in the ways of incinerators and what they do as well we might use that as an opportunity. We'll have to yeah. look at our curriculum and see. So, did you ask a head teacher if you're going to teach them in the ways of incinerators? Well, <laughs> did she? You? I did. Well, she said she's going to use this opportunity of moving the school to this other site to uh, educate oh. the pupils, you know, use it as a tool to educate them in terms of relocation and geography. And as she said, they're going to move more into the community. They're going to be closer to other schools, mm. other links. So I said to her, you, well, surely, you know, if you're going to be more in the community, isn't it best just to stay in that one place? Yeah. Um, but, you know, what can she do? You, you hinted that the other incinerators are planned in the three counties. That's right. I said earlier, uh, one in Calvert, uh, that's already been in Buckinghamshire, that is, that's already been given the go ahead. That's the same size, roughly, as this one in Hatfield that they're intending uh, to, to build. But, uh, however, um, opponents to that one in Calvert are intending to bring a judicial review against Buckinghamshire County Council. That will inevitably delay work on that site. Um, but the operators say they will uh, begin. Uh, carrying out processing waste by the end of 2013. Bucks County Council says the judicial review could not be successfully argued in court. Uh, however, it doesn't say how much all of this is costing, but they say they are doing their best to limit the cost to the taxpayer. Now, there's a bigger one that's always been talked about in Bedfordshire, uh, in Stuartby, um, in Rookery Pit. Mm -hmm. um, that's been talked about for a long time. Cavanta are the people behind that. They've been given the go-ahead by this now defunct government quango, if you like, body called the Independent Planning Commission. Now, objections by two councils, Central Bedfordshire and Bedford Borough, are uh, they petitioned Parliament and they've now sought leave to uh, go to Parliament and basically be heard by a special parliamentary committee. This has never been done before. Uh, the first session of that coincidentally sits today it's like a, an appeal but heard in in the lords and this will sit for one day a week for six weeks with a final decision probably due next year um so all a bit bizarre but basically we've got two other incinerators one in buckinghamshire mm -hmm. one in bedfordshire neither of them have been built they're going through a sort of appeal process so still up in the air at the moment what's happening today 
Today, campaigners say uh, they're urging everyone to go along to the council uh, meeting today, the development control meeting at uh, County Hall in Hartford. Uh, buses are to, being laid on from Wellham Green, various other points to the county council, um, and we'll be speaking to some of those uh, protesters later on in the programme. Now, even if this development is approved, it's likely it'll still be called in by the government as it's an imp- inappropriate development on Greenbelt land. Uh, the local MP Grant Shap says he'll call for it to be looked out by the Secretary of State as well uh, but campaigners have told me they say if the government does look at it it will only ultimately approve the scheme uh, and even if the whole thing is turned down today or possibly tomorrow it might run into m- tomorrow it could be appealed by the contractors Veolia uh, and approval by councillors for the plant at Calvert uh, ran into the following day so we may not get a decision over this one So it's going to go on for a bit. Is there a little bit of nimbyism going on here? Th- these things have to be built don't they? They do, but no no one's ever going to be happy. Would you like to have an incinerator next door to your house? No, of course. It's it's sandwiched between Hatfield, you know, quite a a big community, and uh, a a village just to the south of it. And we're talking quite close proximity, you know, a matter of two, three hundred metres. Sandwiched between two communities, albeit on a pocket of industrial, not wasteland, but, you know, there's a Tesco depot there and a Mitsubishi kind of factory. So it's, you know, it's not the, it's not the, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a thriving, beautiful area, but it's sandwiched between two pockets of, you know, urban communities incinerator reporter tony fisher thank you very much for joining us 08459 455 555 if you've got a view on that speak to you after this Fleetwood mac
couple we spoke about yesterday. The ones we were trying to track down, we couldn't because they were on daybreak. You, you won't have heard of it, I won't explain it, it's pointless. But the ones that got turned away from a, a really swanky hotel for their wedding venue because they weren't deemed posh enough. Oh, that story's got a twist. That story's got a, a twist. We all came in this morning. Oh, I'll tell you more in a little bit. That was a surprise ending to that. Uh, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, 08459 555. Let's get the travel news now. Let's get a Sophie in the travel room. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Anti-clockwise on the M25, the exit slip road is still partially blocked following a broken down vehicle at junction 26 at Waltham Abbey and northbound on the A10. We also have delays between the A120 at Standon Hill and it looks like travel time is going to take you around five minutes to get through that stretch. Now the rest of the roads aren't actually looking too bad right now, seems to be coping fairly well out there. Motorways on the whole not looking too bad either. We do have disruption on First Capital Connect services between Brighton and St Pancras. That's due to an earlier trespass incident at Earlswood. So we're affecting things heading up in our direction and also a revised service running on London Midland again between Birmingham New Street and Liverpool Lime Street and down towards us following an earlier train staff shortage everything else not looking too bad right now Sophie Tyler BBC Three Counties Radio thank you very much Sophie good morning it's 6.16 it's Wednesday the 24th of October these are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio a decision today, uh, could be made today over whether to build an incinerator on Greenbelt land in Hatfield. The proposal would involve moving a special school. A pensioner from the Hertfordshire village of Ferno Pelham has been jailed for five years for sex offences against a young girl that happened 12 years ago. In sport, in the Champions League, Chelsea lost 2-1 away to Shakhtar Donetsk, Manchester United beat Braga 3-2 at Old Trafford, and Celtic lost 2-1 to Barcelona at the New Camp. There'll be a full weather bulletin shortly, and come Coming up, do you remember going on a blind date at all in your life? Well, apparently they're becoming a thing of the past. I've never, I I don't know anyone who's been on a blind date. If you have, could you give me a call and let me know? 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday morning from nine, Jonathan Vernon-Smith. I didn't have a problem at all. It was my husband that had the problem. Oh, really? In what way? All I got was, you're going to have reconstruction, aren't you? You're going to have reconstructed. How the hell did you cope with that? We never slept in the same bedroom again. Jonathan Vernon-Smith. We are now in Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Chris was diagnosed in 1996. If I hadn't gone for that x-ray, I'd sometimes sit and wonder what would be today's prognosis. I am a survivor. And I'm glad to be here today. For- Jonathan Vernon-Smith, weekday mornings from nine on BBC Three Counties Radio. Each time the wind blows, I hear your voice so I call your name. Whispers and morning, our love is dawning, heaven's glad you came, you know how I feel, this thing can't go wrong, I'm so proud to say I love you, your love's got me high, I long to get by, this 
Songs that he sings. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. I'd love to speak to you if you've ever been on a blind date. I never have, uh, and I don't know anybody that has. Do, do people really do them? Well, in a few minutes, we'll be speaking to someone who did go on a blind date. But first, let's get the weather with Phil Garner. Beds, hearts, and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Another rather grey, murky uh, start to the day. A lot of cloud across the area and a little bit of drizzle coming out of that cloud as well. Generally, the visibility is, though, not as poor as yesterday morning. It is misty, but it's not too foggy. And I think as we go through the morning, any remaining mist will tend to thin out. We will see brighter skies developing for the afternoon. Still with the covering of cloud, though, I don't think we're going to see anything in the way of sun today. Having said that, uh, despite the fact winds are from the northeast, temperatures still heading for highs of 15 Celsius, 59 Fahrenheit. So still pretty mild for the time of year. And staying that way through tonight, that covering of cloud will stay with us, acting as a blanket, keeping it nice and mild tonight. Overnight lows of 11 Celsius, 52 Fahrenheit, no frost worries at all. It will turn a little bit misty once again, and there will be one or two spots of drizzle before the night is out, but generally not too bad, it has to be said. Tomorrow is looking a bit brighter, again a misty start, but the cloud clearing and or starting to thin out a little more readily tomorrow morning. And yes, we might actually see a little bit of sunshine tomorrow. Top temperatures, though, nearer 13 Celsius, 55 Fahrenheit, so just feeling a touch cooler. There's your weather. This is Phil Garner at the Weather Desk. Phil, thank you very much. Now, did you, uh, have you ever been on a blind date? 
Um, I guess they happen kind of when you're younger, but I, I suppose they can happen when you're a little bit older. Almost a third of over 55s have been on one. That's quite a big number. If you've been on one, could you give me a call? Let me know. 08459 455555. Apparently, they are becoming a thing of the past. Over the last five years, only 3% of people have used this bizarre form of dating to meet a potential partner. Online matchmaking is now far more popular. Our reporter, Victoria Cook, has been finding out what you think. Would you go on a blind date? Is it a good way to meet your future partner? My last boyfriend I met on Facebook. And had you any idea who he was before you met him? I knew of him. He was from Luton, but I got to know him. Um, Would you ever meet anyone on a blind date? I don't know. Maybe. Depends on who's setting me up. If it's a friend who's setting me up on a blind date, I trust their judgement, so yeah, maybe. So what happened when you turned up on your blind date? It wasn't. He was just weird and rude and I didn't like it. (laughs) Never again, then? Yeah, why not? Especially if my friend knows that where I am and it's not going to be a creepy one. Yeah, why not? Have you ever been on one before? No. So you'd be prepared to go without seeing them at all? Yeah. (laughs) Would I go on a blind date? I think it's unfair on the, whoever I was going to be meeting to meet me on a blind date. Do you think it's a good way to meet your future partner? If a blind date has been set up by a friend, it could be very worthwhile because obviously they know you and they'd know what you might have in common. So, If yeah, you trust the possible. friend. If you trust the friend. I kind of arranged a date for a friend <laughs> and she's married to him now. It took eight years, but it did come to fruition after eight years. I'd be worried about meeting a partner on, uh, from Facebook... You know the kind of idiots that use Facebook? Well, Steve Hall from Buntingford went on a blind date to one of my favourite restaurants, The Wimpy, uh, over 40 years ago. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Ian. How, it was a blind date, was it? How did this come about? Oh, this blind date, I was going out with a girl. I was in the Royal Navy in Portsmouth, uh, going out with this girl, and we got on very well, but just not as a boyfriend-girlfriend. The magic wasn't there. no. Um, she phoned me up one uh, one day and said, I think you ought to meet my roommate. Oh. She worked in a national children's home. Mm. So we arranged a blind date. I met up with her in a wimpy bar in Portsmouth. Um, she came in, absolutely stunning to my mind. Yeah. And uh, we went out. We had four dates. Yeah. And then I f- sailed Far East for 14 months. Oh. We, we wrote about 187 letters each. Oh, blimey. And on returning, she was waiting for the ship. We were engaged three months later, and within about a year and a half after that, we were married. Now, isn't it interesting that you wrote that many letters? Because some people think, well, hang on a minute, you only had four dates, then you had another three months, and then you, you got engaged. But I, I'm genuinely of the opinion, Steve, that you can find out more about someone from letters than just from being with them. Oh, absolutely, and it's the only time I've ever actually written letters. I'm a terrible letter writer. But the thing is, writing letters can be a bit of a a, a, a hard work, can't it? What do you remember about that first date in the Wimpy? The first date was fine because we were being introduced by a mutual friend. Yeah. Um, So I trusted her implicitly. Um, And it was was just really, really nice. It was uh, relaxed. I didn't have to worry about who I was trying to meet because mm-hmm. I was meeting sort of the pair of them initially. Oh, that could have been interesting. Well, not really, no. because uh, we, I was friends with my ex-girlfriend. What did... It, that's, some people will think that's a bit odd, that it was your ex-girlfriend that fixed you up with on a blind date. That, that is a little bit strange, isn't it? Well, not really. I, I seriously think I'm friends with every girl I've been out with. 
Uh, and, and what do you remember about the, the, the young lady that you met? Well, do, can you remember what she was wearing, what she looked like? Oh, absolutely. She was wearing this uh, very fashionable, it was uh, ice blue sort of raincoat. Yeah. Ice blue was all sort of the rains then. Um, she had um, eye makeup that matched. Oh. And, um, and blue eyes. And did you get on straight away? There was no awkwardness or anything? No, funny enough, we got on straight away. There you go. Uh, sat down, we had a cup of coffee. Um, my ex left. And we just spent the evening uh, in Portsmouth. What, uh, what, uh, when you said, listen, I'm, I'm going away in a few weeks, was she upset? Not really, because we'd only just met. Yeah. And, um... We worked out that before the ship sailed, we could see each other four times, and over those four times, we really got to know each other. Why do you think fewer people are going on blind dates now? Um, because, one, you've got to have somebody, a mutual friend, yeah. to sort it out for you. Um, two, it's very, very easy to do it online, mm. or through newspapers, or what have you. But I don't really think you've got uh, the security and safety. Well, certainly women don't have the security and safety yeah. on that kind of date. I think, I think it's right. I think it's interesting that, it, that, that, that a friend or an ex-girlfriend in particular knows you well enough to know, hang on a minute, I think, I think that Steve might like Mary. They, they, they might get on quite... Do you remember what you ate that night, Steve, in the Wimpy? We just had a coffee. Just had a coffee. My favourite, do you know my favourite meal from a wimpy? This is true. A big bender in a bun. That's my, oh, it's, it's my favourite. you can't beat them. You can't beat big benders. Steve, lovely to talk to you and uh, congratulations. What a fantastic story. Thank you very much for sharing that. Steve Hall from Buntingford. A blind date to the wimpy 40 years ago. Have you, what a great story. We won't beat that, I'm sure. But have you ever been on a blind date? Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. Let's get the travel now with Sophie. Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Anti-clockwise on the M25, the exit slip road is partially blocked following a broken down lorry at Junction 26 at Waltham Abbey. Now the earlier problems we had heading north on the A10 have since returned to normal. Looks like it's moving fairly nicely around the A120 at Standon Hill. But don't forget on the trains, we do have disruption at the moment. Now it's mainly on First Capital Connect services between Brighton and St Pancras. There's lots of delays there, around 45 minute delays, which means it may be so coming up towards Bedford at the moment. We'll bring you more on that as and when it comes in and do check before you travel. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. Let's get the latest news and sport now if she's there with Catherine Boyle. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Precisely 6.30, I'm Catherine Boyle with your headlines. The Jimmy Savile scandal has called a sharp increase in the number of people reporting sexual abuse, according to charities who work with victims. A decision could be made today over whether to build an incinerator on Greenbelt land in Hatfield. The proposal would involve moving a special school. And a pensioner from the Hertfordshire village of Phoenix Pelham has been jailed for five years for sex offences against a young girl that happened 12 years ago. Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Nine men Watford lost 2-1 at Cardiff in the Championship last night with Daniel Pudil sent off for violent conduct and Nathaniel Chaloba for a second bookable offence. Hornets boss Gianfranco Zola said poor discipline has cost his team. We lost uh, probably a temper, our temper for a second and we've been punished for that. And uh, I feel sick for the players because... Uh, they worked so hard to get to that point today and uh, they were so close to do that and uh, to be honest, uh, they, they would have uh, deserved that. 
Stevenage remained second in League One after a 2-1 win at home to Portsmouth, but the Borough are now just a point behind leaders Tranmere, who lost at home to Doncaster. Also in League One, Milton Keynes Dons lost 2-0 at Crawley. Dons boss Carl Robinson saw his side miss some guilt-edged chances and hit the woodwork twice. It's not the player's fault. You've got to have a look at me, actually, and I'll take all the criticism by everybody. The game is always going to open up, but... Uh, like I say, it's just one of them things. It's like it is a broken record. I'm a disappointed, gutted. My players disappointed, devastated. Yeah, obviously, because we care. Wickham drew 0-0 at home to Barnet in League Two with caretaker manager Gareth Ainsworth taking consolation from their second clean sheet in three games. And Luton will host Nuneaton in the FA Cup first round after the Borough beat Telford 1-0 after extra time in their fourth qualifying round replay. In last night's Champions League matches, Manchester United won 3-2 at home to Braga, Chelsea lost 2-1 away to Shakhtar Donetsk and Celtic lost 2-1 in stoppage time at Barcelona at the New Camp. Tonight, Arsenal are at home to German side Schalke and Manchester City are away to to Dutch side Ajax and that's your latest news and sport more from me at 7 call 08459 455 555 08459 455 555 BBC Three Counties Radio Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the next half hour, today is the launch of the Poppy Appeal. Will you be wearing one, or do you think they're a little bit outdated uh, and the FA wants to get more women into football? Will you be watching? 08459 455 555. Also, now, I'm sure you're going to have an opinion on this. Should you work for your pension? A peer is suggesting that retired people should be encouraged to do community work such as caring for the very old or face losing some of their pension. Lord Bishard, a former benefits chief, said imaginative ideas were needed to meet the cost of an ageing society. And although such a move could be controversial, it would stop older people being a burden on the state. The peer is a member of a committee investigating demographic changes and their impact on public services. The panel was told that the transfer of wealth from young to old in the UK was the highest in Europe. What do you think? There's sort of... Initially, when you hear that, you go, oh, no, no, that's terrible. But think about it. There's sort of something in it, isn't there? There's sort of something. If you're older and you're being given money by the state, shouldn't you do something to get that money. I don't mean, you know, working, you know, eight-hour days or something, but maybe a couple of hours a week working in a charity shop or or cooking food for us or doing something to get your pension. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. If you want to give us a call on that, we'll talk about that more later on. Now, Bedfordshire FA say they've uh, seen a big increase in people contacting them about becoming involved in local football since the Olympics. Today the FA launches a five-year plan for women's football at Wembley, which aims to get more women involved in the sport. Julia Labrick is the Football Development Officer for Bedfordshire FA. She joins me now. Morning, Julia. Good morning. Uh, now, the, the, the Olympics has got people interested in, in football who may not previously have been, but also more interested in women's sports as well, haven't they? They have, and I think that sport across the board um, to start with and that includes the Paralympics which were a complete revelation I mm. think for London um, and specifically within the women's game um, we are using the Olympics to try and change perceptions um, we want everybody to know that football's open open to anybody and that includes women in any capacity. I tell you what I've noticed since the Olympics and I, was, I noticed this a couple of times and I'm hoping it carries on that in normal sports bulletins women's sports 
particularly football, have kind of got mentions. I've heard it a few times on Five Live, whereas before you'd never hear anything. Uh, but it, it's, have you noticed that? We have noticed that, and I think that's credit to the National FA for, for putting something behind it. Um, obviously, in terms of the media, there's a lot less there in, with people wanting to watch female football because just because the, the channels are full with male football, mm. I suppose. So there was a women's match on BBC Two the other day, wasn't there? There was, which ago. is fantastic. Yeah. And I think after the attendance at the GB women's football games, um, it was the largest attendance at a women's football match yep. um, to date, uh, people are starting to take notice and that it's a slightly different game and something as opposed to what they're, they're used to watching. What are the differences between men's football and women's football in terms of the gameplay? Um in my personal opinion, I think the game is slightly more tactical. Yeah. Um, there's a lot less physicality involved, perhaps. Um, and in terms of, of watching it, it's, it's something for young girls to aspire to, I think, right. more importantly. Is it a little bit r- less racist than the men's? But the men's football is going through a really tough time at the moment, isn't it? Because uh, they, just, they just seem to be so obnoxious. I'm not a big football fan, but they just seem to be so obnoxious. Is, uh, is there any of that kind of personality in women's football, or is it, is it just nicer? Um, from what I've seen within the women's game, women and female footballers conduct themselves extremely well, mm. um, and I think they are extremely good role and models. That, exactly, and that's people. it. The footballers, whether, whether they should be or not, they are role models, and it does. It is disappointing that you see, you, you know, there's been recently a lot of aggressive behaviour and, and nasty behaviour in men's football, and you're saying that the women's footballers, they're actually that they are, they do set better standards, and they can be looked up to and, and aspirational. I think they're extremely aspirational, yeah. and I think, as we said, from the Olympics across all sport, mm. um, there's a real demonstration that there's things there that people can aspire and look up to. You've worked closely on a number of projects for different groups of people to get involved, haven't you? Tell us about some of those. Yeah, we like to reach out um, to groups of people that perhaps otherwise wouldn't initially think about getting involved. Um, Something that we're doing at the moment, uh, a successful project which we run in Luton, um, is for women... Um, it's in an enclosed environment. It's mm. run at Denby High School, um, and it's run by a female coach. Mm. So women and girls from all cultural backgrounds can feel that they've got a, an environment that they can participate in safely, um, in line with their beliefs, perhaps. So that session runs um, in Luton. That's been going for two years, mm. um, and we've had a great group of people join in and, and take up the sport through that project over the two years. Uh, and we're talking about the Paralympics as well. That, that they were. Um, as successful in some ways more successful in the olympics because it was the first time it, the paralympics had ever completely sold out i went to the paralympics and just had the most exciting day. i saw two world records being broken in women's uh, uh, paralympic weightlifting it was it was amazing Th- that's had a big effect hasn't it and a big impact on people being interested in sport i would s- suppose definitely and i think within football as well um we had the seven aside cerebral palsy competition mm. um and the five aside blind football and i think that really opened people's eyes to how the sport's available to everybody i'm going to ask a silly question how does blind football work there's a bell in the ball genius um all players are either partially sighted or blind yeah. but they all wear blindfolds um so that there's there's oh, no difference yeah. in, in their in their sight ability for the game um and there's a bell in the ball and the audience have to sit in complete silence which <laughs> yeah, yeah do they? i went to the game i went to one of the england games and it was absolutely fascinating i How think there was, there was two thousand people in the crowd yeah um 
and we got told to shush occasionally when wow. when we got a bit excited. I want to um, go and see some blind football. That the, 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 seriously, because I'm not a football fan, but that actually sound that sounds really good. Exactly, and it's something different, and people can start to see that it is for everybody to be involved, and, and there are things there to be watched as opposed to. The There's morning. a thing called the Disability League. Is that right? There what is. is. Um, in Bedfordshire, we're extremely lucky. Um, the work of our disability officer Les Dedman, um, he runs an adult disability league in the county, mm. um, and we have teams involved not just from Bedfordshire but Hearts and Bucks as well Um, and it involves teams set up from care homes Mm. um, colleges and sixth forms um, and areas and and actual football clubs that have engaged people from the community with with learning or or physical disabilities Um, and the league meets twice a month um, between sort of March and October Mm. and we finish next week okay um, and it's a great opportunity for anybody to come down um, and take part. Um, and it's treated as, as a serious competition. Mm. We have referees, officials, um, scores and league tables. Um, and and the, the the amount that the participants get out of it is, is clear to see. Come back to the blind football, because I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Is there any going on in the three counties? Um, we have a few sessions around at the moment, informal sessions where people can come along yeah. um, and give things a try. Yeah. Um, so we're always open to hearing from people, whether it's um, schools, colleges or centres that would like to have a taster session in something like that. We'd be, you know, happy to go out. I want to come along. This five year plan for women's football, what would you like to see the strategy focusing on? It's very exciting um, and very uh you know excited about seeing it come out today um i know there's going to be a focus on the women's super league which mm. is the first league um for the elite women's game um and again we come back to role models and young girls having players to look up to who play mm. for chelsea and who play for arsenal mm. um so i believe there's going to be a focus on the women's super league which would be fantastic um and locally that would also support we have a player development center in bedfordshire where we look for young girls who want to push their talent a little bit further um and and that all feeds into that system don't you need to change the attitudes at schools because when i was at school I'm, I'm, i would imagine it's pretty similar you get you do games and the boys will go after the football pitch and the girls will go and play netball and let's be honest netball really you know you you don't even run around it we need to change the attitudes at that age and level don't we i think we do and schools are fantastic they're doing some fantastic work um the school games organizers have leagues in schools now for girls and for boys Um, and the english schools fa also have competitive representative competitions if you like for girls and for boys um so things are changing when i was at school i didn't have a football team to play in and Mm. that's different now um and we're starting to see that i think also with the change in perception it's much more acceptable for a young girl to join in with a boys team right um and Mixed football, as you know, last year was increased until under 13. So mm. as a girl, you can play with your boy counterparts until you're 13 years old. Excellent. Juliet, listen, thank you very much for coming in at this, this ridiculous time in the morning. I know it's, it's silly. Juliet Labrick, Football Development Officer for Bedfordshire FA. 08459 455555. Speak to you after the kinks.
Anti-clockwise on the M25, the exit slip road is still partially blocked following a broken down lorry at Junction 26 at Waltham Abbey. And traffic is now beginning to build up as well around Junction 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Clockwise, the exit slip road is also looking like it's closed at the moment at Junction 25 at the A10 as well. That was following another breakdown. And on the A405 at North Orbital Road, it is looking fairly heavy at the moment, just around Junction 20, uh, Junction 21A, sorry, the M25 there at the roundabout. Now, everything else not actually looking too bad right now. We do still have a few problems on First Capital Connect, where it's looking particularly so between Brighton and St Pancras. means, therefore, it is fairly slow coming up towards Bedford as well, bringing more on that as and when it comes in. That's the latest. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Sophie. Good morning, it's 6.45, Wednesday the 24th of October. It's nearly Christmas. No, it is. No, it is. I'm getting funny looks. It is. It's the 24th of October. That means we're two months away from Christmas Eve. That means it's nearly Christmas. Uh, These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A decision could be made today over whether to build an incinerator on Greenbelt land in Hatfield. The proposal would involve moving a special school. A pensioner from the Hertfordshire village of Ferno Pelham has been jailed for five years for sex offences against a young girl that happened 12 years ago. In sport, the FA will today launch a five-year plan for women's football at Wembley in a bid to get more women involved in the sport. The weather for beds, hearts and bucks, dull and misty, with the chance of a few showers and a top temperature of 15 degrees. And today sees the launch of the Royal British Legion's Poppy Appeal. 
This year it's going to focus uh, on the uh, Armed Forces families and the work it does to help them. Joining me in the studio before 7am will be the chairman of the St Albans branch of the Royal British Legion. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday afternoon from three, Roberto Peroni. Burkhampton Castle has come under attack from badgers. The animals have been digging up huge amounts of turf there, and English Heritage has been forced to tape most of it off. Roberto Peroni. How long has this attack been going on for? Well, I don't know if it is badgers. It really is most odd. I mean, it could even be little green men from outer space. Now steady on there, steady on there, John. <laughs> Roberto Peroni. Weekdays from three on BBC Three Counties Radio. As you've been hearing on the show, controversial plans to build an incinerator on Greenbelt land in Hertfordshire are being discussed later on today. The proposal proposal which involves moving a special school is being opposed by local residents in Hatfield and the local Tory MP Grant Shapps. BBC Three Counties reporter Justin Dealey is going to be following this story for us today. Justin, whereabouts are you off to? Yes, good morning Ian. Um, as you say, the decision is due today. I'm off to Wellham Green in Hertfordshire. I'll be meeting the protesters now. They're all meeting there, going to be getting themselves on a bus and then going to the meeting at County Hall in Hertford to hear that decision a bit later on today. It could be today, potentially tomorrow. Uh, the locals there, and I've been covering this story for years Ian, now they say that their health will suffer if this gets the go ahead mm. extra traffic of course, they simply don't want it, they've raised something like £60,000 to prevent this going ahead, I'll be live there with the protesters, and even more interesting than that, after 8 o'clock this morning one of those protesters will be speaking directly to Veolia, the people behind these plans, so it should be a very interesting morning. Excellent, we should be listening to that. Justin, just going off on a, com- a complete tangent, we're talking mm. blind dates today, Have you ever been on a blind date? No, I haven't. But in saying that, in saying that, I've heard this morning some of these people saying, well, I got a date via Facebook or one of these dating websites. Let me tell you right now, Ian, if you are having a date via Facebook, you could be going on a blind date because my fiance, her face was stolen for one of these dating websites. Hang on a second, what? Yes, one of her friends was on a website. He was looking for love. And he emailed me. Looking for something, yes. (laughs) Let's call it it love, yes. He says, you're not going to believe this, but I have just seen your photograph on a dating website. Somebody had been online, they had Googled a photograph of her and taken that photograph and they were claiming that was them. Hang on, hang on, Justin. Hang on a second. Are you saying that there is no possibility that maybe your missus was looking for a little bit of fun on the sides <laughs> and she set up her own profile? Then she got busted and goes, oh no, Justin, yeah, no, someone, no. So, no, not me, someone stole my face, you Justin. Know what? She has duped me. Yes. You are so true. And could you tell her to stop hassling me on Twitter? I was having uh, lovely conversations uh, on there about you yesterday. Yes, yes, yeah. I, I hear. I, I know hear. all the dirt, I know all the dirt about JD. All the dirt. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Speaking about blind dates, it's Claire. Good morning, Claire. Good morning. Have you How been, are you? I'm fine, thank you. Have you been on a blind date? Yes, I have. But, I have. But you sound so sensible and normal. Oh no, that's not good. How did <laughs> How did it happen? Who arranged it? Well, it was a very good friend of mine at the time um, who who said to me, "Oh, I know this guy. He's perfect for you. Um, I'm going to set you up on a blind date." Mm. So I thought, "Well, I'm single. Why not?" Yeah. Um, and and that's what we did. And she came round and said, I'll, "I'll arrange him to come round to pick you up, but I'll be here too, so it's not too nerve wracking." Yeah. Oh, but it was nerve wracking. I bet it was terrifying. It was. Well, well, so what were you? you so you're, he came and picked you up from your house. How were you feeling? Before, you know, moments before he arrived. Petrified. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, he knocks on the door. Mm-hmm. You open it, and what did you think? I, I tell you what, it's, it's very funny because when it, when you're in that situation, you both size each other up. Yeah. I could see him doing it. 
and I was doing it to him. Yeah. But you know what the funny thing is? As a woman, you always wonder if they're going to be little as well. <laughs> <laughs> is that the main... What, you, you mean in height, of course. <laughs> I'm just clarifying. So you're, you're, you're worried he was... Sorry, but move on. You're worried it was going to be a, t- a tiny gentleman standing there. Yeah, because well, ha- the thing is, you want to look foxy with your high shoes, yeah, but then you yeah. think, well, am I going to be taller? So it's a bit of a dilemma, really. How tall was he? Well, he was about my height, so, oh. so I managed the foxy shoes, which was okay. Yeah. With my shoes on, with my high shoes. How did the date go? The date was really nice, and he was absolutely lovely, and I thought, oh, he's gorgeous. Yeah. Until we went on our second date, so I'm going to pick you up and we'll go for a walk. And I thought, oh, that's so romantic. Romantic, isn't it? Yes, yeah, lovely. Yeah, and he arrived with his sister. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> He he brought his he brought his sister. He he did honestly. But why? Um, uh, <laughs> that's actually he mental. Him and his sister went on a walk together. Um, was that the last date? <laughs> well, it was the last date, really, because I thought I thought I wonder if he's gay. Yeah, I just didn't really know what was going on. I thought it was quite cute when he said to me, "Can I have your paw?" Which is he meant he wanted to hold my oh, hand. Oh God, weirdo, weirdo! <laughs> the alarms would have been going off in my head. Claire, he was. Bo- Can I have your paw? Here's my sister. No. Oh God. Well, exactly. Claire, have have you found love since? Well, I ha- obviously that was a long time ago. I have been in and out of love, but I am currently single. Okay, well, <laughs> probably if, if, me. Well, if, is, are you? Are you advert, is, is that an advert? Do you want? Uh, you, no, you don't want our listeners, Claire. They're all tiny men. You, you, you wouldn't be interested in those. Claire, who sounds delightful. He brought his sister and asked for her paw. No, there, no, that's not good. Ever been on a blind date? Can you beat that? Thank you, Claire. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Sweets for my sweet sugar for my honey. Your first sweet kiss thrills me so. Sweets for my sweet sugar for my honey. I'll never ever let you go. Sweets for my sweets. Good morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Well, keen to hear your blind date stories, 08459 455 555. That was a great one from Claire. We should put that out as an audio, but I think, because that was a, a cracking call. The second date, the fella turns up with his sister. No. Can I hold your paw instead of hand? I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, today sees the launch of the Royal British Legion's Poppy Appeal. This year it's going to focus on armed forces families and the work it does to help them. Uh, I'm joined in the studio now by uh, Don... Uh, Don, it's Don Dell, isn't it? That's right. That's yeah. right, Don That's Dell, right. Uh, the chairman of the St Albans branch of the Royal British Legion. Morning, Don. Good morning. You too. found us eventually. I did. You got a little bit lost. I did. <laughs> or should I say the sat nav did? The sat nav did, of course it did. Now, t- the, the, the poppy, is it... Because, you know, it's it, it's an iconic image. Is it growing? Are you selling more and more each year? Or is it kind of tailing off a bit? No, no, if anything, it's increased. Right. It really has increased. In fact, uh, last year when it came to ordering... Um, w- when it came to... We had to reorder. Mm. Uh, several branches did. And uh, they were getting short. They really? Had, still making it, yeah. yeah. Uh, and do young people... Are you finding that young people are buying them and wearing them? And, and, and do they know what it represents more and more um youngsters are in fact not just getting to know what it's about they are, are in fact helping really they are getting involved um and in fact uh, it was only two days ago that i went to to visit some brownies mm. and uh it was quite interesting actually because they wanted to have a talk on the poppies and each one of these brownies it was i tell you um each one of them made a story mm. from one of their families members it that were in the war mm. and what they did was each one of them put this story and put it into a book and they're selling the book for a poppy appeal fantastic uh it, it really is fantastic that's the seventh first uh, go, uh brownies that is and uh as i say that's going to the poppy appeal but it just shows you know from that age yeah. how the people are getting involved the theme yeah. this year is helping the families yeah. are they not getting the support then that they need from elsewhere uh, unfortunately, no, not all the time. They're not. Um, uh, with times being as they are as well today, that's not helping. I mean, it doesn't help the average, average uh, family, let alone those in the forces. Mm. And when you've got members of the family that are away from home, makes it that a little bit more difficult. So how do people get help from the money that's raised for the poppies? Do they, do they kind of come to you and say, look, we're struggling a bit? can you help us well unfortunately i wish it was as easy as mm. that uh, they don't uh, some do and others go through different departments social um, services etc and then they put them on to us uh, but unfortunately there are a lot a lot of people out there that will not come to us don't know that we do whatever we do um, and others it's just independent mm, really. of course yeah yeah there's, um, there, yeah. Uh, there's there is still unfortunately a stigma isn't there for saying actually do you know what i'm in a bit of trouble i need a little bit of help at the moment yeah, we, there was a report in the papers a couple of days ago that some poppy sellers in the past have been getting a little bit of hassle on the street and a bit of abuse, and that some of them are going out with minders. Have you ever come across that that poppy sellers being abused in the street? Uh, no, I, I, I've got to be honest mm. on that one. Um, and my time i mean here in st albans i've been doing it uh, with 15 16 years and i've been doing it for about 40 odd years wow as wow. a whole <laughs> yeah um and no i i've i've Good. not come across it everybody's been Brilliant. really 
generous and helpful. Don, very quickly, because we, we are out of time. Do you, right. do you need volunteers to help you this year? Oh, yes, we do. How, yeah. how can they get in touch? And what can uh, they, well, they can get in touch with me by my email, by our website at St Albans, or they can contact me, 077-47. Mm-hmm. I, I, I tell you what, don't Sorry. give out your phone number, just in case we might have a fruit, few fruitcakes listening. G- give right. out your email. Yep. Do you know your email address? Yeah, it's D underscore Del, D-E-L-L, underscore branch, B-R-A-N-C-H, R-B-L, at yahoo.co. Let's, let's, let's give that out, and then people can get in touch via the email. And then uh-huh. sus- you never know who's listening, Don. No, I've, I've been okay. doing this. I've been in this job for a long, long time. Let's just say there are one or two yeah. strange, strange people out there. Okay. Listen, best of luck. Right. Uh, keep up the good work. It's always cracking to see you lot out there doing uh, selling the poppies. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. That's Don Dell, uh, chairman of the St Albans branch of the Royal British Legion. Travel news now. Let's speak to Sophie. Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Anti-clockwise on the M25, the exit slip road is partially blocked following a broken down lorry at Junction 26 at Waltham Abbey. And anti-clockwise still looking like it's uh, building up fairly uh, quickly now around Junction 25 at the A10 for Enfield. And in Nazing Laundry Lane also closed due to the fly tipping between St Leonard's Road and Waltham Road. Everything else not looking too bad right now. Uh, slightly further in towards London at the moment it's looking a little bit tricky. But uh, nothing that's going to be keeping you uh, held up for too long at all. Uh, trains also look like they're uh, not looking too Actually, at the moment, we do still have the delays there of 40 minutes on First Capital Connect services between Brighton and St Pancras, so it will be slow heading up towards Bedford. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots more coming up in the next hour of the show. Find out what after the latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Getting beds, hearts, and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's seven o'clock. The headline, Savile Scandal encourages more victims to speak up. Greenbelt incinerator likely to be approved and food labelling system set for overhaul. BBC Three Counties Radio. Organisations working with victims of sexual assault say the Jimmy Savile scandal has led to an unprecedented rise in the number of people reporting allegations of abuse. One charity, the National Association for People Abused in Childhood, has seen a fourfold increase in calls to its helpline. A decision's due to be made today over whether to build an incinerator on Greenbelt land in Hatfield. The proposal for the new Barnfield Waste Plant involves moving a special school. However, Southfield School, which has 72 pupils, would then revert back to its original location after five years. Its head teacher is Libby Duggan. We will be very near to other schools, so in terms of inclusion for our pupils, there could be some very exciting opportunities for us and also for other schools in the locality. So I'm seeing it as a really good opportunity. I'm quite excited about it. Police have charged a 28-year-old man from St Albans with exposing himself on buses all over Hertfordshire in the past few months. Ben Harris from Hatfield Road in the city is accused of offences in St Albans, Hemel Hempstead, Potter's Bar, Stevenage, London Coney and Hatfield. An increasing number of people are unhappy about the way police forces in England and Wales are dealing with their complaints. That's according to new figures from the Independent Police Complaints Commission. Tony Fisher's been taking a look. 
Although the number of complaints fell for the second year running in 2011-12, more than 6,000 appeals were received, a rise of 3%. Thames Valley Police, which is the country's largest non-metropolitan policing area, covering Oxfordshire and Berkshire as well as Buckinghamshire, recorded the highest number of complaints in the three counties, with 1,046 this year. Halfshire recorded 326 complaints, and Bedfordshire Police came in with the lowest figure of 229. The food industry has agreed to adopt a uniform system of labelling aimed at giving shoppers a clearer idea of how much salt, sugar and fat products contain. More details now from our health correspondent, Adam Brimelow. After years of debate and disagreement, the government hopes a hybrid labelling scheme will at last provide consistency and clarity, helping consumers towards healthier choices. 80% of food products sold in the UK have some form of front-of-pack labelling. But the rival systems can be confusing. They include guideline daily amounts of nutrients and calories expressed as percentages, colour codes based on traffic lights or text. UK governments will now work with the food industry and health campaigners to agree on the design and on content thresholds indicating low, medium or high. In last night's football, Watford lost 2-1 at Cardiff, Stevenage won 2-1 at home to Portsmouth, the MK Dons lost 2-0 at Crawley and Wickham drew 0-0 at home to Barnet. The weather dull and misty with a chance of a few showers and a top temperature of 15 degrees Celsius, that's 59 Fahrenheit. There's more news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Good morning. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's the first day of the new regime in my life, in as much as had a flask yesterday. I've still got the flask. Got a flask. Lovely. Full of redbush tea. Mm, I know. Packed lunch today. I was up late last night making a packed lunch. Cheese and mayonnaise sandwiches. Bit of fruit and a muffin. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, all bases are covered. So don't worry about. Don't worry about me. I'm fine when it comes to food and drinks this morning. Plenty coming up in the next hour of the show, including a new incinerator could be built in Hatfield, but a special needs school would need to be moved and then moved back again. Find out more next. Here's an interesting one. Should teenagers learn about the impact of pornography in schools? Huh? One teacher's union thinks so. Do you agree? And if you're retired, you should have to work for your pension. That's according to a former benefits chief, Lord Bichard. And it sort of makes sense, doesn't it? It's one of those stories you hear it and you go, ooh. But the more you think about it, it makes sense, shouldn't it? Pensioners should have to work a little bit, not eight hours a day, maybe a few hours a week, for their pensions. And also your blind date stories. 81333, start your text 3CR. Or give me a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Controversial plans uh, to build an incinerator on Greenbelt land in Hertfordshire are being discussed today. Now, if, if this affects you, if you're nearby, could you give us a call? 08459 555. Councillors will decide whether to approve the energy from waste plant in the face of strong opposition from local people. The plans involve moving a special needs school to a new site and then, yeah, moving it back again. Um, it's uh, Southfield School, it's got 72 pupils. Our reporter, Tony Fisher, went to the school and spoke to its head, Libby Duggan. Well, I can't speak for the parents. Um, in terms of our future needs, if we make a good planned move, we can 
give our pupils continuity in terms of their education without the disruption that any proposed building works would, would make to us. But you say continuity, you're only going to be there for five years and then you're going to be moving back here. Isn't that a bit disruptive, especially for special needs pupils? I think because we have a really skilled and experienced group of staff that as long as we can do things in a phased planned way, we will be able to make sure that we do carry on with the, you know, school as usual, business as usual. But as far as the, the pupils are concerned, is it not going to be disruptive for them, regardless of whether the parents at this moment have concerns, is it not going to be disruptive for them to move them out of this environment that they're comfortable in and move them into a completely separate environment and then move them back again in five years' time? We are looking at this as an exciting educational opportunity. We have got really good plans emerging to support our pupils so that we can look at developing personal social skills, geographical skills and actually use it as quite an exciting educational project. So we'll be looking to really plan things for, for individual pupils so that they have good support to make the most of these new opportunities. So you build it as part of the curriculum, as it were, and make them fully aware of what's going on? We will be using every educational opportunity we can get from this, and it will offer us some very exciting opportunities. But needless to say, for some pupils, it might, they might find it a bit disconcerting. We will make sure that we have got lots of support in there, so there's lots we can do through our website with photographs with visits to a new site with individual books showing what our new school will be like involving pupils in the planning process later down the line so actually it's it's going to be quite exciting for us and uh, are you going to have to educate them in in the ways of incinerators and what they do as well we might use that as an opportunity we'll have to look at our curriculum and see but we're, you know, we will make the most of this as an opportunity. I do love that. This is why Tony Fisher is so excellent. Are you going to educate them in the ways of incinerators? <laughs> what, a bri- what a brilliant question. Um, well, Hatfield isn't alone in having an incinerator. Two other sites are going through the planning process locally. They're at Calvert in Buckinghamshire and Stuart B in Bedfordshire. To explain more about what these plants do, uh, Professor Chris Coggins is in the studio with me. He's an independent waste management consultant from Luton. Morning, Professor. Good morning. Now, in layman's terms, and speak to me as I'm in a dip because I am. What is an energy from waste plant? An energy from waste plant is basically part of the policies towards dealing with waste. Right. We generate too much waste. Uh, I suppose the, from a policy perspective, we ought to generate less waste. Mm. And that means waste prevention. If we can recycle things, fine. But there are limits to how much we can recycle. Mm. And therefore, there's going to be always a fair amount of waste that you've got to get rid of afterwards. At the moment, a lot of that waste goes for landfill. But the alternative is to put it into an energy from waste plant. Uh, people call it an incinerator. And basically, it's the waste that can't be recycled. It's the waste that is better off to be burnt and to generate electricity. And the more modern incinerators these days generate electricity. They may generate heat. And some of them also generate cooling. Now, is this about councils getting rid of their waste? 
Or is it about generating energy? Because it seems to be two different things that they're dealing with here. I think there are the two issues. And first of all, the councils um, have a responsibility to deal with our waste. Mm. We as individuals living in Bedfordshire, Hertfordshire, we generate waste. We put it out on the the curbside, it gets taken away. The council has to do something with it. And therefore, they have to look at various options. And the options these days are getting more limited. There's less and less landfill. We've seen landfills filling up in Bedfordshire. We've seen the increase in the price of landfill. Mm. And therefore, the local authorities authorities look at alternatives and for generating electricity they can get money mm. so therefore there's an element of saving the householders by generating electricity do they generate that much electricity is it significant it is significant right. um, surveys have been done and if uh, a bigger proportion of, of energy of waste was burnt to generate electricity it could generate up to 17 percent of the uk's electricity generating uh, generating needs it sounds sounds pretty good the protesters living near all of these sites are concerned about pollution traffic noise disruption uh, are these fears reasonable they are reasonable, but I think at the end of the day, the planning process goes through a rigorous procedure. Yep. And in terms of, first of all, pollution, all the evidence, and this is all backed up by scientific studies, is that incinerators, well-managed, well-run, well-regulated, don't, don't generate pollution. At all. There's going to be smoke coming out of a chimney somewhere, isn't there? There's going to be steam coming out of the chimney. I think you have to be be careful. People see white stuff coming out of a chimney and they think it's horrible, it's smoke. But generally, it's going to be steam. And people talk about other pollutants like dioxins. And you get more dioxins from road traffic, from big industry, rather than incinerators. So are you saying, categorically, there are no health risks to having one of these next door to a school or an estate or something? All the government studies, all the independent studies indicate that the pollution risks are very limited. And I think what we have to remember is that walking down the road, you can get more pollution from breathing in car fumes, diesel fumes, than you can from an incinerator. Chris, would you like one next door to you? You probably would, actually, wouldn't you? You could go and (laughs) investigate it. Oh, yes, I'd be quite happy with that. (laughs) Uh, In your view, how many of these are needed? We've talked about three, which are going to be opening in a relatively small geographical area. Uh, Will they be in competition with each other? How How does this kind of work? I think in terms of the three that you mentioned, the the one in Calvert and the one in Hertfordshire are basically being organised by the, the county council and therefore they're dealing with the county council's waste. The one in Stewart Bay is a rather different case because mm. it's, um, it's what's called a merchant site where a company is prepared to put the money in to build an incinerator and deal with different waste streams. Mm. And therefore, I think it's a case of, it's, it's a market opportunity that the company sees making money, but it's also dealing with a serious problem, and that is uh, the waste that we generate. This is, uh, it, it sounds like it's the way forward, and we're going to hear about more of these being built. Is, is that kind of the, the plan at the moment? I think that's the, 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 that's the, the, the what, what's happening. Mm. I think um, people may have seen recently that um, even in the, uh, the Chancellor's um, constituency, an incinerator was given permission mm. earlier this summer. And I think at the end of the day, we do need incinerators because they solve two problems. Mm. They solve a waste problem, but they also contribute to our energy problem. I miss the old days, Chris, of, uh, Professor Chris, of, of the dumps. We used to go down the dump you could have a little rummage i found some great stuff in the i remember my dad i've said this before on the radio when i was about 10 my dad one day came home with a gorgeous accordion in a case a full-size thing my mum said where the 
blooming hell did you get that from? Oh, I've been down the dump. And he's just been down the dump on the off chance and found it. I missed that, Chris. Well, again, it's a case that uh, those are the old days. I think we have to look forward and say, well, people don't throw things like that away these days, yeah, perhaps. They They've got eBay these days. Yeah, they have. Professor Chris, lovely to see you as always. Thank you very much for coming in. That's uh, Professor Chris Coggins, independent waste management consultant from Luton. We're all over the shop without what we're talking about today. From a waste disposal to blind dates. Dave in Luton says, I had a blind date. Ever had a blind date, Professor? Nope. OK, then we'll, we'll move on from that. <laughs> nope. I had a blind date in 1968, says Dave. I got married in 19. 72, I'm still married. Got two sons and eight grandchildren. And uh, Chunky in Luton says, 34 years ago, I had a blind date with a girl who saw me carrying a tray of pies. Her mate arranged it, and we met in the Hat and Bonnet in Luton Town Centre. We've now two grown-up daughters and three grandkids. Uh, thank you very much for that. 81333, start your text 3CR. Let's get to the Travel Centre now and get the latest with Sophie. Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Motorways are looking fairly tricky at the moment. London bound on the M1. It's still looking fairly slow between Junction 9 at Redbourne and 8 at Hemel Hempstead. Now, anti-clockwise on the M25, the exit slip road is still partially blocked following a broken down lorry at 26 at Waltham Abbey. Also looking particularly slow at the moment around 25 at the A10 for Enfield and again between 21 at the M1 and 20 at Kings Langley. And also very slow now between Maple Cross at 17 and 16 at the M40. Beginning to slow all down the western stretch now. And also looking at particularly tricky on the North Auto Road, that's the A405 approaching the M25 Junction 21A roundabout. Everything else not looking too bad, but don't forget we do have delays at the moment on the Brighton to Bedford line, mainly coming up towards Bedford, so do check before you travel. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sophie, thank you very much. Good morning, it's 7.15. Uh, it's Wednesday the 24th of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Organisations working with victims of sexual assault say the Jimmy Savile scandal has led to an unprecedented rise in the number of people reporting allegations of abuse. A decision is due to be made today over whether to build an incinerator on Greenbelt land in Hatfield. It would involve a temporary move for the 72 pupils at a nearby special needs school. In the Champions League last night, Chelsea lost 2-1 away to Shakhtar Donetsk and Manchester United beat Braga Braga 3-2. I knew I'd forget it. And Celtic lost 2-1 to uh, Barcelona at the Nou Camp. We'll have a full weather bulletin shortly with Phil Garner. And coming up... Should teenagers learn about the impact of pornography in schools? The National Association of Head Teachers thinks so. We'll hear more before 7.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every Monday to Saturday from 12, Nick Coffer. The fact that the Red Arrows are a British institution, mm. where does that come from? Uh, it's been built up over, you know, almost 50 years now. Nick Coffer. The image of the Red Arrows, for me, it is it is the Jubilee, it is the football matches, uh, it is the Olympics this summer, and th- these are good memories. Hearing the reaction of the people as they see the Reds come up the mall, that just makes the job worthwhile, hugely. Nick Coffer, Monday to Saturday from 12, on BBC Three Counties Radio. Call 08459 455555 08459-455-555-BBC-3-Counties-Radio-BBC-3-Counties-Radio-BBC-3-Counties-Radio-BBC-3-Counties-Radio-BBC-3-Counties-Radio-BBC-3-Counties-Radio-BBC-3-Counties
you should be doing a little bit of work. Not, I'm not saying you go and work eight hours a day, that'll be nonsense. Maybe a couple of hours a week in the local Oxfam, you know, or you spend an hour on a Saturday helping do the drinks at a kid's football group, or, or something like that. Giving back to the community. You get your pension, and you give me something back, and it's, it's good for you. How do you feel about that? Good idea, bad idea? Oh, wait, 459, 455, 555. Our reporter, Justin Dealey, has been finding out what you think. I feel you pay in your money, and it's up to you whether you want to work at, when you retire or not. Mm. You know? So at this age in your life, you want a quality of life. You feel like you shouldn't be working if you don't have to. That's right, yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I work, but I feel if, if you want to do voluntary work, you can do, you know. Uh, you, don't, you shouldn't have to do it. Madam, you've worked all of your life, and you feel this is wrong. You you feel like it's the people who are always out there trying to get something for nothing. They're the ones who should be targeted, not you. Correct. Yeah. I do think that, because people walking around the streets, lobbing people and hurting people, they should do a good day's work. So if you get a call and you say, OK, you've got your state pension, and this weekend you're going to be off doing some gardening with a local group, would that make you feel very, very angry because you feel like you've worked all your yes, life? Why I, should you do that? Yeah, I, I do feel angry about it because I think they should, they should get a good day's work and earn their money for it. Mel, you're retiring in three years. You're thoroughly looking forward to it, but if somebody said to you, you've got to carry on working, doing voluntary work, you wouldn't be too happy about that, would you? I wouldn't, no, no. And tell us why. Why? Because of, so I've been in my job 41 years and I want to spend the time with a wife and the grandchildren. And that's your decision. You feel like you've given enough to this country. Absolutely. I've and it's about taxes time that... and I've paid all my dues. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yep. if you got that call, you would be very, very angry, wouldn't you? I would, indeed, yeah. Some interesting thoughts there. Andrew's in Hatfield on the line about this. Morning, Andrew. Good morning. What's your take on this? Uh, well, I noticed a person that said it was Lord somebody, so he needs a pension like, like you know, like an Eskimo needs an ice cream. Lord Bichard, yes. Yeah, he sounds like he needs someone who needs a pension. So, but look, I'm 64, and I've been working non-stop since I was 15, so I've already paid in yeah. my money to get a pension. I may or may not retire when I'm 65. Hopefully I won't, subject to health. I'm going to carry on. But if I do receive my pension when I'm 65 and carry on working, I will be contributing because I'm going to pay tax on that pension. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand why... I mean, I may want to, if I retired and had nothing to do, so to speak, work, that is, I may want to take up some voluntary work of my own choice, not because I'm made to, and I wouldn't be made to. But, Andrew, uh, uh, listen, as we all know, these, these are tough times, and people are living longer, there will be more people drawing pensions. Doesn't it make sense that, 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 that people are asked to just give a little bit back, not full eight hours day, days, but a, a few hours here and there, to earn their pensions? I don't understand why you keep saying that. I've already paid in to the government, various governments, for... I would have been paying by 50 years mm. and I'll probably carry on paying because I've haven't. i never been in hospital in my life except to visit people, unfortunately so I'll probably carry on working until I just don't feel like I can work anymore mm. and I'll be paying tax on that I don't understand why you're saying or anybody else is saying that I need to contribute more when I retire when I've already contributed What about the lazy pensioners? Who are they? Well, we had a, I had a, a tweet somewhere, I'll try and find it in a minute, for those people that haven't worked in their lives and are now reaching pensionable age, should they get the pension for free? Well, that brings in the subject about whether your pension should be related to how much you've paid in, shouldn't it? Yeah. That's a different ballgame. Mm. I mean, right now, everybody's going to get, you know, most people accept a private pension, which I've got as well, actually. But if, if a person um, hasn't paid in 
sufficient contributions and maybe they might get the base pension and someone that's paid in more might get slightly more. I don't know. Maybe that could be a way around it then. Everyone gets kind of the base pension, but if it's deemed that you haven't paid enough in, then maybe you should be uh, encouraged to go and do a couple of hours voluntary work somewhere in a hospital or in a hospice or something. Well, I think that's a possibility. That could be a way around it, couldn't it? That's a different avenue, isn't it? But if a person has paid in for a number of years, not just myself now, but anybody that's paid in for a number of years. I mean, some people were lucky, and because of private pensions and so on, they're talking about retirement at 50 years old, I mm. remember some years ago, which is ridiculous. Oh, yeah, I remember I remember talk of that. Andrew, thank you for that. I think we reached a good compromise. Maybe there, there are some people who haven't paid in enough, then they perhaps do have to do a little bit of voluntary work. What do you think? Let's get the latest now. Phil Garner. It's Hearts and Bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Another cloudy day ahead of us today. A rather misty, murky start as well, but the visibility is not as poor as we had it on recent mornings. And there are one or two spots of drizzle around, but generally it is a drier start as well. A gentle northeasterly breeze getting going as we go through the morning. That will tend to lift the, clean up, the cloud up and uh, thin out any mist. I don't think we're going to see any sunshine today, but we should still see temperatures of around 14 or 15 Celsius, 59 Fahrenheit. Not too bad at all, considering the time of year. Overnight tonight, staying dry. I think we will see a few mist patches coming back through the night but with overnight lows of 11 celsius 52 fahrenheit temperatures staying very much on the mild side through tonight but a change in the feel of the weather tomorrow we will have a bit more in the way of a northeasterly breeze the cloud lifting and thinning more readily because of that we may even see a little bit of sunshine coming through but with top temperatures nearer 12 degrees celsius 54 fahrenheit that is going to be a colder wind blowing in so feeling cooler despite some sunshine coming through there's your weather this is phil garner at the weather desk thanks phil Here's a story. Here's a story. We, we promised it, and here it is. Should teenagers learn about the impact of pornography in schools? That's, that's, that's the important phrasing, the impact of pornography in schools. The National Association of Head Teachers thinks so. They want sex education to be updated, made compulsory in all schools from primary age, and to include issues of pornography. We can talk now to, uh, oh, I feel all, all hip and trendy, Radio 1 Newsbeats, uh, Nomia Iqbal. Good morning, Nomia. Oh, you're there. Sorry, I'm saying I'm hip and trendy. I've got the wrong fader open. What an idiot. There we go. You've been looking... (laughs) (laughs) What an idiot. I'm an old man. You've been looking into this story. It's quite a big call, isn't it, for something like this? It is, but it's one that the NAHT isn't doing lightly. I mean, the key word here, like you said, it's the impact of pornography and age-appropriate. So there's no chance of showing anything too, too graphic. Like you said, the sex education, they feel, is out of date and it should be compulsory beyond the biology aspect of it at the moment. Obviously, parents have the option to withdraw their children from classes. And the NHT are saying that children are more aware of sex than ever before because of the fact they can easily access it on their mobile phones and it's affecting their perception of what is normal when it comes to expectations of sex and relationships. We spoke to Sean Humphreys. He's the policy advisor from the NAHT. Children are growing up in an increasingly overtly sexualized world. Part of this includes ever easier access to pornography and other inappropriate material on, on, on the internet. And they need the skills to equip them to deal with this. And even though th- this would ideally start with, with quite young children, um, you know, evidence suggests that, that 10 isn't too young to start, at that age it wouldn't be a very full head-on exploration of, of pornography per se, but it would be looking at those issues to lay the foundation... And some schools are already teaching this, are they? 
That's right. There's a charity called Family Lives, and it includes a group called Teen Boundaries, and they've delivered lessons talking about the impact of pornography to, uh, as well as sexting, which is sending indecent images around on your mobile phone, to more than 7,000 students. We went along to one of these lessons, and it involved 17-year-olds. 90% of them had these smartphones. Many admitted they had seen indecent images. Now, in the class, it was interesting. They, they took part in role plays, you know, exploring what how they'd react if they received an, undecent, an indecent image. And they discussed a video showing how pornography is unrealistic. Leonie Hodge ran the class. The issues are still going to come up time and time again. And in effect, therefore, you're letting young people down. They do need education and they do need skills. And actually, it's quite patronising to say that young people can't cope with these lessons because they can. You have to keep up with the technology. It's not relevant now just to talk about, you know, how to make a baby and implications of that. You have got to talk about the context of relationships. Do teenagers find it useful, Nomia? Well, the ones we spoke to certainly did. Um, you know, there were a few giggles here and there during the class, but on the whole, they, they said they really appreciated the straight-talking way the class was delivered. It made me realise how fake porn is and how guys perceive it is really wrong. Guys expect that from girls when that's not the reality. Before it used to be all innuendos and cartoons with bunnies, but this is literally, this is the fact, this is what you need to know, and it's your choice, and that's brilliant. Uh, NAHT, as we heard say, evidence suggests that 10 isn't too early for this. Do others feel that way? Well, family lives say, you know, as young as primary school, 4 to 11, but again, age-appropriate is the key word, so nothing too graphic. One of the students we spoke to, um, 17-year-old Gerald, he says, well, he feels that younger people would definitely benefit from these sorts of lessons. Yeah, but 14 isn't too, I don't think it's too young, because there are people that are 14 having sex. I think that's, like, the perfect age, because that's when... Um, the pressures start coming in, you know. Students right now, like, they have no idea how to deal with the situation because they're not taught how to actually deal with it. Uh, realistically, will these sort of lessons be statutory? Well, it is, uh, you know, a controversial thing and quite sensitive. The National Union of Teachers, they, they understand it. They've, you know, they say they, they sort of support it, but referring to issues of pornography in lessons is a step too far. It should be something that's, you know, if students want to talk about it, that's fine. It's a reactive thing as far as they're concerned. The Department of Education has told us it's up to schools how they deliver sex to education. Parents should get to decide what they want their children to know, and that's the, that's the same for schools in all parts of the UK. Nomi Iqbal from Radio One's Newsbeat, thank you very much indeed. Gone are the days. I remember being a teenager. Gone are the days of finding some mucky mags in a bush in the woods. I, 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 we did. If you're, if you're a gentleman, I, I, we've got young ears, so I don't want to get too carried away, but if you're a gentleman of a certain age, that's how we came across those images. It was, it was, it was in a bush or by a bus stop. It, that, that's how it worked. You can get it everywhere now. The thought of the fact that, you know, on your phone, in your pocket, you can get all kinds of naughtiness. Incredible. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. If you've got an opinion on that, or uh, should you be made to work for your pension? And it's not it's not it's not work. It's voluntary work. And I think people are, are misunderstanding. Uh, voluntary work is very rewarding. It's not like doing a rubbish job, you know, stacking shelves in a suit. It's a rewarding job. Uh, on the email, Ian, I can't believe what I just heard about working for a pension. I thought working and paying into the system all of your working life was working for your pension. What an idiot. And Barry from Hemel says on the text, Older people are not a burden on the state. Most have worked and paid all their life for retirement, unlike many of the scrounging people on benefits. But Barry, there are people now approaching pensionable age who have scrounged on benefits, to, to use your choice of phrase. What do we do about them? Travel News Now, Sophie.
Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still looking much the same out there at the moment. London bound on the M1 is still slow between Junction 10 at Luton Airport and 9 at Redbourne. And anti-clockwise on the M25, the exit slip road is still partially blocked following a broken down lorry at 26 for Waltham Abbey. It's also looking fairly slow at the moment heading down towards Junction 25 at the A10 for Enfield. And between 21 at the M1 and 20 at Kings Langley, usual delays there. And the same can be said for around Junction 18 at Chorleywood all the way through to 15 at the M4 where it will take you nearly 40 minutes to get through that stretch. Looking fairly slow now on the A405, that's the North Orbital Road, just approaching the M25 Junction 21A roundabout. And we do still have delays of 25 minutes on First Capital Connect services. Now that's mainly between Brighton and St Pancras, but this will be causing problems heading up towards Bedford as well. So do check before you travel. Everything else not looking too bad at the moment. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Sophie. And suddenly it's 7.30. Let's get the latest news and sport now with Catherine Boyle. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. The headlines. Organisations working with victims of sexual assault say the Jimmy Savile scandal has led to an unprecedented rise in the number of people reporting allegations of abuse. A decision is due to be made today over whether to build an incinerator on Greenbelt land in Hatfield. And police have charged a 28-year-old man from St Albans with exposing himself on buses across Hertfordshire over the last few months. Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Watford finished with nine men as they lost 2-1 at Cardiff in the Championship last night with the winners coming in stop with the winner coming in stoppage time. Hornets defender Daniel Pudil was sent off for violent conduct and midfielder Nathaniel Chaloba was dismissed for a second bookable offence. Stevenage meanwhile won 2-1 at home to Portsmouth in League One. The Borough boss Gary Smith said his side showed character to see out the game. There were some terrific challenges late on. David Gray made two wonderful uh, last ditch challenges down that right hand side Mark Roberts threw himself I was right behind one of the strikes about 20 yards out and he just you know put his body on the line also in League One, Milton Keynes Dons boss Carl Robinson leapt to the defence of his players after they lost 2-0 at Crawley. The Dons missed some guilt-edged chances and hit the woodwork twice but Robinson said he'd take any flack arising from the result. Wickham drew 0-0 at home to Barnet in League 2. Wanderers caretaker manager Gareth Ainsworth was happy not to concede any goals. I'm actually a little bit disappointed and down because we haven't won, but I think that's a good thing because uh, we did OK. We, we got a clean sheet. That's one for the defenders tonight, you know, what we've been working on in training. They've really took on board and uh, two clean sheets now in three games. I think that's, uh, that's a good return. Luton will host Nuneaton in the FA Cup first round after the Borough beat Telford 1-0 after extra time in their fourth qualifying round replay. In last night's Champions League matches, Manchester United won 3-2 at home to Braga, Chelsea lost 2-1 away to Shakhtar Donetsk and Celtic lost 2-1 in stoppage time at Barcelona. Tonight, Arsenal are at home to German side Schalke and Manchester City play Ajax. That's your latest news in sport. More from me at 8 o'clock. The BBC in beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Remind me later, uh, before the end of the show, I must tell you, that yesterday we were talking about that couple from Luton who got turned away from a swanky hotel um, where they wanted to have their wedding do. They, they got turned away because they weren't posh enough. 
there is a follow-up to that story. I, I must tell you before the end of the show, it's cracking. Coming up in this half hour, we'll have the latest on the uh, Jimmy Savile scandal and controversial plans to build an incinerator on Greenbelt land in Hertfordshire are being discussed today. BBC Three Counties reporter Justin Dealey is with a group of protesters who are very unhappy about the proposals. If you want to give us a call, 08459 455 555. You can text 81333. Start your text 3CR. We're also talking about blind dates as well. We've got a cracking story about blind dates coming up a bit later on. Uh, Now, the chairman of the BBC Trust, Lord Patton, has warned a government minister not to question the independence of the BBC after the claims of sexual abuse by Jimmy Savile. The Culture Secretary, uh, Maria Miller, has said concerns were being raised about public confidence in the corporation after it made inaccurate statements about Newsnight's decision to drop an investigation. Organisations working with victims of sexual assault say the Jimmy Savile scandal has led to a big rise in the number of people reporting allegations of abuse. Our reporter, Simon Thompson, has more uh, details. Morning, Simon. Yeah, hi there. There's been an exchange of letters between the Culture Secretary and BBC Trust Lord Patton. What do they say? Yes, these letters were written, or say letters, these days of course it's via email, but they were written following George Entwistle, the Director General of the BBC's appearance, uh, rather difficult appearance, before MPs yesterday. Now, Mrs Miller, the Culture Secretary, expresses that there is real concern about public confidence uh, uh, being dented in the BBC as a result of this scandal and ongoing uh, um, problems for the BBC in its fallout of the Jimmy Savile affair. Uh, And now Lord Patton wrote back saying that the BBC Trust which, of course, uh, is given the public responsibility to oversee the BBC's role. Uh, The the trust takes the allegations surrounding Jimmy Savile and the need to maintain public trust in the BBC very seriously, promising her that two BBC inquiries set up so far, one into the culture of the BBC and one into into why the Newsnight report into Savile was never broadcast, that they will both be comprehensive and independent and go wherever the evidence takes them. Now, that seemed to satisfy the Culture Secretary, but she did point out that both the Trust and the Executive, the management of the BBC, must be ready to act very quickly on the results of those inquiries. So, certainly quite a a formal exchange and curt exchange of letters yesterday. More emails as well emerging, which suggest that a chain of BBC management were discussing the Newsnight investigation into Savile. Yes, now, let's point out, first of all, Peter Rippon, who's the editor of the Newsnight programme, who's been asked to stand aside while an investigation is carried out into why the Newsnight programme never went forwards with a uh, an investigation into Jimmy Savile. Uh, he has always maintained uh, that um, the reason why the programme was never aired was for editorial reasons. Now, there's nothing to suggest otherwise. Uh, however, emails are now emerging which do suggest that uh, further emails that weren't broadcast in the Panorama programme on Monday night for legal reasons, these emails do seem to suggest that the there was a clear discussion, a chain of command of BBC managers discussing at length uh, the Savile report and the investigation of why... Uh, and, of course, the potential impact for the rest of the BBC. Now, there's no suggestion that that was the reason, uh, but nonetheless it does show that there are perhaps more questions to answer of other witnesses at the BBC, potentially uh, BBC's uh, head of news, Helen Bowden, who was the woman who told uh, the Director-General about the Newsnight investigation at awards lunch last year, 
and also her uh, her assistant Stephen Mitchell, who's head of programming programming in the BBC, who is the uh, boss of uh, Peter Rippon, the, the editor of Newsnight. Now they are mo names mentioned by George Entwistle, director general, yesterday, and no doubt some of those will be called in due course by MPs to give evidence about exactly what they knew and discussed about this Newsnight investigation that was never broadcast. So a lot of names to sift through there, but basically a whole series of, of chain of com BBC management command that no doubt the uh, MPs will want to talk to. More allegations as well emerging about victims of Jimmy Savile, aren't there? There are indeed, sadly, and of course let's not forget that though we're talking about BBC structures here and BBC's response to all this, at heart of all this is the fact that uh, Jimmy Savile is alleged to have raped and to have abused children um, um, during the course of a, a number of years of, of working at the BBC. Now, last night a woman spoke to the BBC, in fact, spoke to on, on BBC Radio, uh, describing how she was uh, raped by Jimmy Savile in his caravan in a BBC car park in 1970. And she said uh, that on another occasion, she was contacted by the same BBC employee who'd put her in touch with Savile to begin with, who also invited her to attend a film, and then he raped her in an office at Broadcasting House. Now, this woman who spoke to BBC Radio last night, of course, it remains anonymous, and said she did not speak out at the time because she simply did not think anyone would believe her, which seems to be a common trait here in a number of people who are now coming out and discussing what happened to them at the hands of Jimmy Savile. Charities certainly seem to say that they have seen a large increase in the number of people calling out a helpline about sexual abuse about, uh, after uh, hearing about the allegations against Jimmy Savile. And certainly the police say now that they have hundreds of lines of inquiry in which to look at. Simon Thompson, thank you very much. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. It's one of the odd things of this show is you do something hideous and horrible and then you move to something very light and frothy and there is, there is no easy way to do it so we just make that slightly clunky leap. We are talking uh, this morning uh, about blind dates. The, 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 there are fewer and fewer of them because more people are dating on the internet. We've got a cracking story coming up later on about a couple that met uh, on the internet. It's connected with BBC Three Counties Radio. If we can't get them on the line, we'll, 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 we'll read out what they sent me on the Twitter because it's, it's, it's brilliant if it's true. Uh, but have you ever been on a blind date? I haven't. I never would. Why, why would you? Why would you? Well, Lynn in Hemel Lynn, have you been on one? Yes. <laughs> oh, you say, you say yes as though you've been on loads. Have you been on a few? No, just one. Just the one. It what? was a nightmare. Oh, God, what happened? Well, for a start off, he brought his dog with him. Oh, my God. That's, in some ways, that's worse than bringing the sister along. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then... Big dog, was it? Yeah, right, big right. dog. Yeah. Um, we went to three pubs because he wanted to know if they'd get a dog in. <laughs> it's dreadful, isn't it? So, on, so you went to the first pub, they said, sorry, no dogs. Second yeah. pub, no, no, sorry, mate, you can't bring it. Third pub, oh, yeah, you can bring that dog in. Okay, so that's yeah, okay. so Yeah, And he got, he asked for a bowl of water for the dog. Before he asked me for a drink. <laughs> Did you get a bowl of water or, or something a bit more appropriate? I uh, eventually got a drink. Okay, lovely. Yeah. yeah. And then after about ten minutes, yeah. I said, oh, I need to go to the ladies. Mm. And legged it. <laughs> oh, you did a runner. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, did you just walk, did you just walk out and and and, and never turn back? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. 
that it was hideous. Who who set it up? It was funny. It was my best friend's husband. Yeah. Thought it would be funny. Oh, so he knew it was going to be a bit of a nightmare. No, he didn't really. Oh. I'd split up with my boyfriend yeah. for a long time. Yeah. And this turned out my boyfriend, who I later spent 20 years with, yeah. um, he was in the blind and awnings business. And so was this bloke. So it was so weird. So blind date with a blind awnings was blindingly bad. Is that what you're saying, Lynn? He was hideous. There we <laughs> Sometimes it's it's really good fun doing this. <laughs> Thank you, Lynn, for being so honest. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We've got a cracking story coming up, hopefully before eight o'clock, about a couple that that well, it, 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 they met bizarrely through BBC Three Counties Radio. I'll, I'll say no more because it it really is um, it, it's going to be worth listening to. Uh, this morning we've been talking about. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, she's made me chuckle. This morning, serious face now, we've been talking about plans for an incinerator at Hatfield in Hertfordshire. Councillors are meeting later today to make a decision on the energy from waste plant, which would be built at New Barnfield near Hatfield. Protesters from the surrounding area are preparing to go to the meeting at County Hall in Hartford. There are buses taking them from various points, including Wellham Green, which is where our reporter Justin Dealey is this morning. Justin, tell us exactly where you are and what's going on there. Yes, good morning. I'm just outside uh, St Mary's School here in Wellham Green in Hertfordshire, which is around half a mile away from this incinerator. If it was to get the go-ahead, you'd certainly see it clearly here from the village. Protesters arriving already. They're going to be getting on their buses very soon and heading off to, to County Hall. Two of them are with me right now. First up Rob Edwards. Rob, welcome to the programme. Uh, we're outside the school this morning and um, lots of plans here in place to, to make sure the parents can actually go to this meeting today. Exactly. So Mary's have been very kindly laid on a breakfast club to help the mums drop off their children an hour early so they can make the protest at County Hall. So I'd personally like to thank Mrs Guy and St Mary's School for allowing that to happen this morning. Very accommodating on such an important issue. And tell us why you're so against the, this incinerator. I'll tell you why I'm so against it. The fact that the matter is this is a lovely little village and Veolia and Hearts County Council plan to build a waste incinerator the size of the Millennium Dome on top of a hill in this local area. It will overshadow a special needs school. In fact, there's about eight schools within spitting distance of the incinerator. It will involve 500 extra heavy goods refuse lorries on our roads every day of the week. Uh, quite frankly, it's absurd to put this into a residential area. We spoke to a waste expert earlier on. He said that we do need these incinerators. Essentially, we're living in the past. So what would you say to that? Quite frankly, incineration is living in the past. Our county is currently one of the best in the country for recycling at the moment. And I feel we are being punished for that by having this on our doorstep. The fact of the matter is, a lot of the waste will be shipped out of London and into this incinerator so it can run 24-7. we may need incinerators, but the fact of the matter is this is a residential area. It's not needed round here. OK, it's going to bring Duncan into the conversation as well. Duncan, we're quite short on time this morning, but, but just how far will you go? If, you, if you're going to this meeting today and it's given the go-ahead, how far will you go to stop this from actually happening? Well, good morning, firstly. Um, history is going to be made today. Either HCC will wake up and listen to the residents of Welling Hatfield and kick this application into touch or most likely they will approve their own planning application 
and the greatest legal challenge in the County Council history will ensue. Let's hope common sense prevails, and it certainly hasn't up till now. OK, Rob, final question to yourself. Can you see absolutely no benefits to this incinerator whatsoever? Not round here, no. It's going to wreck this village. The fact of the matter is families will stop moving to this village, which will kill off the local school, and the whole area will become transit. Are you more interested in property prices? Uh, I, couldn't give a t I couldn't give a monkey's about property prices. I'm w worried about my and my children's future and my friends that live in this village. Gents, I can certainly hear the passions. Thank you very much. Whatever happening, mate, we're staying and we're fighting on. Thank you very much. There Thank you go. You. Uh, so, two protesters already this morning. How Ian, many are we expecting this morning, Justin? Well, we're expecting 25 people to go right. from here in Wellham Green, but obviously hundreds more are going to be heading off to County Hall a bit later. After 8 o'clock this morning, one of these protesters will be talking mm. directly to Veolia. They, of course, are the people behind these plans. It, it's been such a, a big, big talking point. You've heard the passion there. They're angry. The, the locals have raised £60,000 to fight this. And even if it is given the go-ahead today, it's not the end, of course, because mm. the government will then get involved and it could go on for months if not years. Justin, we should look forward to listening to that. There's a the, passion. There's a lot of passion. Al almost some potty language, but we, self-censorship prevailed. Travel news now. Here's Sophie. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. London bound on the M1, still looking fairly slow at the moment between Junction 10 at Luton Airport and 9 at Redbourne. And anti-clockwise as well on the M25, the exit slip road is still blocked at Waltham Abbey at Junction 26 following the earlier broken down lorry. Still looking slow as well between 27 at the M11 all the way through to 25 at the A10. And it's looking a little bit tricky between 21 at the M1 and 20 at Kings Langley. While we also have 35 minute delays between 18 at Jollywood and 15 at the M4. Everything else not looking too bad right now, seems to be coping fairly well, just the usual delay for this time in the morning. Nothing that'll be holding you up for too long at all, though. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. 7.46, Wednesday, October the 24th. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Organisations working with victims of sexual abuse say the Jimmy Savile scandal has led to an unprecedented rise in the number of people reporting allegations of abuse. A decision is due to be made today over whether to build an incinerator on Greenbelt land in Hatfield. Have more on that in the show. In sport, the British cyclist Mark Cavendish says he supports holding a truth and reconciliation process for the sport in the wake of the Lance Armstrong doping scandal. He wants everyone who's ever cheated to come forward and tell the truth. Yeah, good luck with that. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks. Dull and misty with the chance of a few showers and a top temperature of 15 degrees. And coming up before 8am, we'll speak to someone who was at the world premiere of the new James Bond movie last night. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's been an amazing year for sport, with some of the biggest names collecting the world's greatest prizes. This is sensational riding here in the Olympic Games at London 2012. But every year, the BBC's Sports Personality of the Year recognises people who aren't stars, but have simply gone that extra mile. They've made their contribution for no reward, except the enjoyment of seeing sport flourish in their community. There are unsung heroes. Nominate yours now via our website at bbc.co.uk slash sportsunsunghero and help us round off a remarkable year of sport in 2012. Um, we'll be talking to the guy who went to the uh, James Bond premiere last night. I'm a little bit jealous. It was at the Royal Albert Hall. I can't imagine seeing a film at the Royal Albert Hall. We'll ask him how that went in a bit. But we have been talking uh, about blind dates. Fewer and fewer people are going on blind dates. I, it, it strikes me as ridiculous. Why would you ever do it? The stories we've heard so far... Apart from the, the, the first one, where he met his wife, 
but they they must be pretty disastrous. And it seems that people do these things once and then never do them again. Could you give us a call if you've been on a blind date? Good or bad? 08459 455 555. And that kind of, in turn, got us on to sort of internet dating, and the, because that's sort of replacing uh, the blind date. Paul's in Flitwick. Morning, Paul. Good morning, Ian. You met your missus on the internet, didn't you? I did. D- 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 tell us about this. How did it happen? Um, well, I've been listening... Well, first off, I used to live in St Albans. Right. Um, moved away down to Cornwall uh, about four years ago. Still listening to Three Counties Online when I was oh, down there. Oh, really? So, hang on a minute. You'd be living miles and miles away in Cornwall, and you'd listen to BBC Three Counties on the computer? Yeah. Why? Um, purely because... Uh, I mean, obviously, it's brilliant and stuff. It is, but in Cornwall. It's all like, oh, <laughs> the waves are this high today. <laughs> it's lovely in Cornwall. It's a little bit dull, you're correct, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's lovely scenery. Yeah. Lovely scenery, but not much goes on. OK, right. But, so, I kept in contact, you know, with the show via um, the computer listening online. Um, interacted quite a lot on the JBS Facebook page. Oh, you're a fan of Jonathan Vernon-Smith? Oh, I am. Interesting. OK, he's got one. OK, that's good to know. Right, yes. Yeah. I'll, so, I'll, um, I'll tell him. Chatting to people, whatever. Yeah. I've got to chat to... Um, Re, this person on there, we had the same sort of sense of humour yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. And then it just got more and more become, you know, really, really close and yeah. all the rest of it. So I said, well, come down and visit me, Ooh. sort of thing. Because obviously, you know, out of choice, you know, Fittick or Cornwall, come yeah. down to Cornwall, because as you were saying, it's, you know, nice scenery and that. Yeah. So uh, she came down for the week. Yeah. For, for the week? For the week. How long have you been chatting to her on Facebook? Uh, about two and a half months. She came down for a week? Yep. Okay. Um, I mean, I did all the sort of, um, the safe stuff, sort of saying, you know, let everybody know where you're going, yep. give them my address, give them my phone number. Yes. And I, she turned up and said, did you give your dad your number? And I just went, no. Nah. Was, she was, oh, this Cornwall's not that big. I went, well, it's big enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could be... And also, let's, let's be honest, I'm a huge fan of Jonathan Vernon Smith, but I've heard some of the callers to his show, and some of them are a little bit, um, how can I put this politely? I can't. They're damaged, aren't they? <laughs> So, you know, they, they are, let's be honest. So you could have been damaged goods. But, OK, so she came down for the week. Came down for the week, and we hit it off, like... Uh, within a couple of hours, it was like we're old friends. <laughs> really? Within a couple of hours? Yeah. <laughs> well, fast, yeah. fast mover, Paul, well done. <laughs> yeah, I am, I yes. am. Um, yeah, it was like we're old friends. Yeah. Um, we, and since then, it's like we finished each other's sentences, or wow. I just have to look at her, and she knows exactly what she's going to stop thinking about that, you know? Steady. Uh, not, not rude. Steady. Not rude. So, so you're, you're married to her now. What's her name, Ree? Uh, Ree, yeah. yeah you're, R-double-E. You're, I mean, it's really funny because um, Jonathan spoke to us about it when we first got together when I've been up here about a month. Yeah. And he called her Bree all the time. Right. <laughs> so you, how long have you been married to, to Ree for? Uh, we're not married yet. Oh, OK. We, we got engaged uh, about three weeks ago. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. And how long have you been together then? Uh, a year on the 29th of October. And you met through the JVS Facebook page. We did. Wow. We did. Okay. And I said, I love her to pieces. I mean, she's downstairs listening at the moment because obviously we don't kind of have the radio on and all that. Long. No, of but, course uh, not. So I she's. Know that I love her loads. Oh, go away. It's not being all soppy. I'm going to cut him off now. He's being all soppy. There's not, not, not a time for soppiness, Paul. It's ten minutes to eight, for goodness sakes. Love has been found through the Jonathan, Jonathan Vernon Smith show. It's, it's, it's got to be worth listening to from nine o'clock, hasn't it? Who knows? You could meet your life partner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Oh dear, I, I do like Jonathan Show. It does make me chuckle. Right, onwards and upwards. Last night was the world premiere of the new James uh, Bond uh, movie, Skyfall. If, you, if you're interested, I'll give out the Jonathan the Jonathan's Facebook page a little bit later on in case you're feeling a bit fruity. Last night was the world premiere of the new James Bond movie, Skyfall. Movie was filmed at Pinewood Studios in Buckinghamshire and stars Daniel Craig as Bond for the third time. Uh, yesterday, we told you about the owner of the car used in the film, a 1962 Aston Martin DB5, a car that would cost £280,000 to have fixed up a bit. Ajay Chowdhury is the editor of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang magazine, which is published by the James Bond International Fan Club. He was at the premiere last night. Morning, Ajay. Morning, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm jealous of you. You you, you went to the premiere. I did indeed. It was was like Bond was coming home, and it was uh, fantastic. We'll get onto the film itself in a second. Um, How was the, the, the film projected in the Royal Albert Hall? It doesn't strike me as the best venue to watch a movie. Well, I don't think there were any problems. I mean, right. I'm not I'm not really technically that sophisticated, but uh, a number of thousand people watched it before. They had had a previous Bond premiere there, yep. Die Another Day in 2002. That was the 40th anniversary film. Okay. And there were no problems that time, and I don't think there were any problems judging by the clears and chaps this time. Uh, this time. Sky, uh, Skyfall is the new Bond film. Any good? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, no, it's, it's very good. Um, I think a lot of people will be surprised at not only how good it is, but how different it is from other Bond films, yet the same. What they've done is they've reinvented it. Still, It's still classic Bond, still very entertaining, but I think Sam Mendes and the script writers, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade yeah. and John Logan, have, got this, have, have tried to up their game a bit, and I think with that fantastic cast headed by uh, Javier Bardem playing, I think, probably um, an astounding Bond villain, uh, they, they've really made a huge sort of leap in making a modern contemporary thriller that's exciting. It's still very much a Bond film. The last two... I'm a big fan of Daniel Craig uh, and we'll we'll rank the Bonds in a second uh, uh, JC if we we, we, um, link up. Uh, uh, But the last two Bond films have been a little bit dry. Is this one dry, or does it does it kind of reintroduce the Bond humour a bit? Well, it's very funny, it's very witty, it's not Roger Moore sight gags either. Right. But it is, I mean, there were lots of laughs, lots of big moments yesterday. And, um, yeah, no, there's a lot of humour in it. But it's not a laugh fest either. Mm. It's a thriller, you know, it's... Yeah. it's uh, Daniel Craig, uh, I read this morning, says he's only going to do two more Bonds. That kind of already fills me with, with a little bit of apprehension. Is that true? Well, I think the contract he signed for has two more bonds. Ah. If, it, if it works very well, he might do more. I mean, if no one goes to see Skyfall, he won't do any more. He's but playing the game. I hope uh, everyone does. So, yeah, it's a commercial enterprise. But I think certainly um, they've hit their stride. And at the end of Skyfall... It sets everything up for a fantastic series of movies as well, so I don't think anyone wants him to go anywhere soon. Do they still do that thing in The End of Bond? I don't think they do, where they say, right, at the end of the credits, coming soon, James Bond in Octopussy. Do they still do that? Uh, yeah, no, that's a very good point. No, no they, oh. I think they stopped doing that some time ago. No, but you no. say James Bond will return. OK. But yeah, no, they don't All announce right. the title of the new one at the end of this one let's, anymore. Let's, let's, let's play the pub game. Bond, bonds uh, in order, starting from the worst to the best, please. Go on, you go. Bonds or Bond films? Uh, bonds. Let's start with Bonds. 
Oh, that's difficult. Come one. on, I, no, I, it's I, not. Okay, Come on, it's easy. You know the answers. No, 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 it's not that simple. It used to be easy in the old days when he had two bonds. Now it's not. Sean Connery is the best bond oh. in some ways. Okay, but but he's also the worst bond. I yeah. think he only twice is a die performance. My favourite bond is Timothy Dalton. He's the man from Whoa. the film. Hey. Roger Moore is incredibly entertaining throughout his whole film. So yeah. Pierce Brosnan rescued it. Yeah. And I think Daniel Craig is is, is, is the modern contemporary of oh. it. I think he's got Dalton DNA. And George Lazenby appeared in one of the very best Bond films. Do you... How's that for sitting on the fence? You're, you're, that's terrible. You've basically all said they're all the best. I'm disappointed. I can't believe you ranked Dalton, though. Dalton is the worst. Connoisseurs love Dalton. Uh, have you read the books? No, I haven't. I, right, I there haven't, you go. yes. Well, that, that's what, that, yeah. But watching the Bond films is like going to school, really. Yeah. The bomb bits is like going to university, and I think when you're a connoisseur of something, you appreciate something slightly finer and nuanced. I think Dalton set up wow. Dalton set up what Daniel Craig now does. All right, listen. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is a question. I don't want any sitting on the fence. That last answer was a cop out. All right, I want a proper answer. This one. The best James Bond film. Goldfinger. Without a doubt, Goldfinger, best villain, best car, best gadget, best story. Um, classic, classic, classic movie. Okay, I, 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 I like, I like your answer. You're wrong, of course. It's Live and Let Die is the best Bond film, but, but <laughs> it is. Come on, you know it is. It's well, got no, voodoo. There's a strong argument for the Spy Love Me. You know, that's Roger Moore's yeah. Goldfinger. That was that was my first at the cinema, and I think when you see that, I saw Spy Love Me last year in front yeah. of three thousand people. Wow! The whoops and cheers. Wow! At Somerset House. I'd love to see a Bond film with, with that many people. Hey, I was I was in a film that was directed by the guy that directed Goldfinger. Camp Martin Campbell is that his name? I think Goldfinger. Uh, or the, Gold- uh, Golden Eye, sorry, Golden yeah. Eye. Yes. Oh, which film was that then? It was. <laughs> it was a stinker, straight to video. Um, it was called. I can't remember. Beyond Borders, starring Clive Owen and Angelina Jolie. I'm in uh, that. I spoke to Martin Campbell about that particular movie. Did you really? When they were speculating whether Clive Owen would do Bond, and Martin Campbell and the director of photography, Phil May, who said no, they spoke to Martin Campbell and uh, uh, Clive Owen, and he said he was never interested wow. in doing Bond. How it, Ma- Clive Owen lives near me. We're going off on a tangent. I, we should meet up and go and have lunch one day. We've got a lot in common. <laughs> Clive Owen lives near me. He's my mother-in-law's favourite, favourite actor. And my wife saw him in a bar, and she went up to him and said, look, I, you get this all the time, can I take your picture with my little boy, please? My mum would love it. And Clive Owen was the perfect, perfect gentleman and said, well, I would absolutely love to. And I've got a gorgeous picture of him with my eldest son, and both of them just beaming. Well, he's a really nice bloke, but he, 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 he'd never be a good Bond, I don't think. I, I don't, I'm not so sure about that. I think he's a great actor. He well, is. But if he doesn't want to play but I mean, lots no. of people get tarred by, you know, the Bond brush. It's, it's a big thing to take on, and the more you do it... I mean, the poor guy that follows Daniel Craig is going to have a tough time. They're going to struggle. Ajay Chowdhury, thank you very much. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang magazine is what he edits. I'm sorry, we, we went a little bit self-indulgent and a bit geeky for five minutes. You can give me that, can't you? It's very rarely I can meet someone who's on the same level as me, intellectually and artistically. Although he's he's wrong about he's he's wrong about Dalton. Terrible bond. Let's get the travel news now. Here's Sophie. Beds, hearts, and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. London bound on the M1, still looking fairly slow and there's delays between Junction 10 at Luton Airport and 9 at Redbourne. Travel time there is only around 5 minutes though but it is going to hold you up a little bit. And anti-clockwise on the M25, the exit slip road is partially blocked following a broken down lorry at 26 at Waltham Abbey and it's also still looking very slow between 18 at Chorleywood and 15 at the M4. Now also heading through Stevenage on Gressley Way in both directions, it's currently closed following an accident. Motorbike involved at Magpie Crescent so do expect delays and uh, the emergency services are currently closed 
at the scene. We'll bring you more on that as and when it comes in. Still have delays of 25 minutes on First Capital Connect services between Brighton and St Pancras. means services will be slow coming in towards Bedford. That's the latest. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. Plenty more coming up. Quick heads up, Jonathan's show from nine. Should teenagers be taught about pornography in schools? Be interesting, won't it? Here's the news and sport. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's 8 o'clock. I'm Catherine Boyle. The headline, Savile Scandal encourages victims to speak up. Hatfield incinerator decision expected today and police, police complaints figures released. BBC Three Counties Radio. Organisations working with victims of sexual assault say the Jimmy Savile scandal has led to an unprecedented rise in the number of people reporting allegations of abuse. One charity, the National Association for People Abused in Childhood, has seen a four-fold increase in calls to its helpline. Hertfordshire County Council looks set to approve building an incinerator on Greenbelt land in Hatfield. The proposal would involve a temporary move for 72 pupils at Southfield Special Needs School. Campaigners are concerned the new Barnfield waste plant will lead to an increase in pollution. But according to Luton-based waste management consultant Professor Chris Coggins, those fears are largely unfounded. People see white stuff coming out of a chimney and they think it's horrible, it's smoke. But generally it's going to be steam. All the evidence, and this is all backed up by scientific studies, studies is that incinerators well managed well run well regulated don't generate pollution a pensioner from the Hertfordshire village of Phoenix, Pelham, has been jailed for five years for sex offences against a young girl dating back 12 years. 73-year-old Eric Forth was told his name would be added to the sex offenders register for an indefinite period. St Albans Crown Court heard the girl was aged around five when the offences began and continued in the years that followed. A member of a gang of pickpockets has been jailed for 10 months for robbing a Luton pensioner. In July last year, Calvin Verduva from East Ham in London targeted a 68-year-old as he left a bank in George Street. Carol Abercrombie has the details. 40-year-old Vaduva followed his victim onto a bus, having watched him use a cash point at Barclays Bank. With the help of three other men, he jostled the pensioner and in the process cut a hole in his shirt pocket to take his money and passport. CCTV filmed the group getting into a car registered to Vaduva and he was arrested. The rest of the gang have yet to be caught. Vaduva was jailed for 10 months, having breached the terms of a previous suspended sentence. An increasing number of people are unhappy about the way police forces in England and Wales deal with their complaints. According to new figures from the Independent Police Complaints Commission, although the number of complaints fell for the second year running, more than 6,000 appeals were received. That's a rise of 3%. Thames Valley Police, which covers Oxfordshire and Berkshire, as well as Buckinghamshire, recorded the highest number of complaints in the three counties, with 1,046 for that year. Hertfordshire recorded 326 complaints, and Bedfordshire Police came in with the lowest figure of 229. In sport, last night's football, Watford lost 2-1 at Cardiff, Stevenage won 2-1 at home to Portsmouth, MK Dons lost 2-0 at Crawley and Wickham drew 0-0 at home to Barnet. As for the weather today, dull and misty with a chance of a few showers and a top temperature of 15 degrees Celsius, that's 59 Fahrenheit. There's more news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, it's eight o'clock, uh, only an hour of the show left. Where have you been? Where have you been? If I'm honest, very rarely do I big myself up. 
But I would have to say, today's show has been the best show that we've done. Without a shadow of a doubt. If you've only just tuned in, later on today, when you get the chance... Uh, go and listen again on the BBC iPlayer because it's been a cracking start to the show. Uh, it's been a little bit naughty, a little bit rude. It's been emotional. It's been a bit funny as well. Coming up in the next hour of the show, controversial plans for an incinerator in Hatfield. We will hear more about that from our reporter Justin Deedy, who's out there with the protesters. Should teenagers learn about the impact of pornography in schools? One teacher's union thinks so. Do you agree? And just 3% of people go on blind dates now. I don't know anyone who's ever been on a blind date. Do you? BBC Three Counties Radio. There are two things that have, um, uh, have got you fired up this morning. Two very different things. And this shows just how diverse these kind of shows can be. Uh, blind dates. We've had some cracking stories about blind dates. If you've been on a blind date, good or bad... Could you give us a call? 08459 455 555. And the other thing has been pensions. After Lord Bouchard has suggested that pensioners should maybe work for their pensions. Now, it's the kind of story you read it go, oh, that's disgusting. But when you think about it, doesn't it make sense that the, the pension... Listen, we're all living longer. We're dying later. There are more of us. There is a pensions crisis. So... Doesn't it make sense that, that, that pensioners should do something in return for... Maybe the, 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 the compromise we reached earlier is maybe there should be a base pension and to get a little bit more for that pension, you go and do a bit of voluntary work. Not working eight hours a day, but you go and help out in a hospital for a couple of hours on a Monday. Or on a Saturday, you go and do the drinks and the sandwiches for a kiddies football team. And anyone who's being... is in uproar about this suggestion, thing, how dare you say that... You're misunderstanding, because volunteer work, doing those kind of things, I've done it, okay? It's not a chore, it's a joy. It enriches other people's lives, it enriches your life. So you're benefiting in two ways. You're giving something back to the community and feeling brilliant. You're getting a few extra quid on your pension. That makes sense, doesn't it? 08459 555 is the telephone number. Controversial plans to build an incinerator on Greenbelt land in Hertfordshire are being discussed today. Councillors will decide whether to approve the energy from waste plant in the face of strong opposition from local people. The plans involve moving a special needs school to a new site. However, Southfield School, which has 72 pupils, would then move back to its original location after five years. Our reporter Tony Fisher went to the school and spoke to its head, Libby Duggan. Well, I can't speak for the parents, um in terms of our future needs if we make a good planned move we can give our pupils continuity in terms of their education without the disruption that any proposed building works would would make to us but you say continuity you're only going to be there for five years and then you're going to be moving back here isn't that a bit disruptive especially for special needs pupils I think because we have a really skilled and experienced group of staff that as long as we can do things in a phased planned way we will be able to make sure that we do carry on with the, you know school as usual business as usual but as far as the, the pupils are concerned is it not going to be disruptive for them regardless of whether the parents at this moment have concerns is it not going to be disruptive for them to move them out of this environment that they're comfortable in and move them into a completely separate environment and then move them back again in five years time 
we are looking at this as an exciting educational opportunity. We have got really good plans emerging to support our pupils so that we can look at developing personal social skills, geographical skills, and actually use it as quite an exciting educational project. So we'll be looking to really plan things for, for individual pupils so that they have good support to make the most of these new opportunities. So you build it as part of the curriculum, as it were, and make them fully aware of what's going on? We will be using every educational opportunity we can get from this, and it will offer us some very exciting opportunities. But needless to say, for some pupils, it might, they might find it a bit disconcerting. We will make sure that we have got lots of support in there, so there's lots we can do through our website with photographs with visits to a new site with individual books showing what our new school will be like involving pupils in the planning process later down the line so actually it's it's going to be quite exciting for us and uh, are you going to have to educate them in in the ways of incinerators and what they do as well we might use that as an opportunity we'll have to look at our curriculum and see but we're you know we will make the most of this as an opportunity Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call about this. Oh, Justin Dealey, our BBC Three Counties reporter, is in Hatfield this morning with the protesters. Justin, what's going on there? Well, Ian, I have to say, um, lots of anger here. Uh, a lot of people about to get on the buses and go off to County Call, uh, County Hall in Hertfordshire to to hear this decision. Uh, lots of them gathering with their placards. Um, lots of noise as well in the background. Uh, Roy, welcome to the programme. You're livid about this incinerator, aren't you? Oh, it's infuriating. You know, it's a beautiful village like this and just to, to the end of our road is going to go up a skyscraper's worth of just incineration it's ridiculous mm. but again though some experts and we spoke to one earlier on says that we do need incinerators what would you say to that well of all the places you're going to pick an incinerator chuck it in the middle of a load of housing and poison a load of children we've got we've got schools in the area they're moving a school just to build an incinerator it is farcical dreamt up by an idiot Okay, Um, just to come back on something you said there, you said that the village is going to be poisoned. Um, You're calling other people idiots. Um, Do you sound like a bit of an idiot yourself by saying that? No, not at all. I mean, you don't need much uh, intelligence to find out how much toxins are going to go into the atmosphere. They've got to build a chimney, God knows how high, just to try and get rid of it. We're in a well here, and it is actually going to poison us. Um, And this... you just look at the evidence it's it, the the geography of the place is is wrong the the access is wrong everything is wrong Violia are going to be coming on the program hopefully before nine o'clock this morning i'm sure that they would have plenty to say about Justin, we've, we've got we've got viola on the line now so if, yeah. if your guest there has a message they want to deliver to them now now is the time to do it because then i'll go straight to keith mcgurk from Excellent. viola uh, roy final question to you Violia are listening to this right now they are on the phone line they can hear you just lastly in 30 seconds what is your message to them they said the amount of toxins that's going into this the, the air would be the size of a sugar cube daily and um, you only need a micron to kill someone. Now, how many people they're going to kill with a sugar cube? It's ridiculous. 
ridiculous that they, they, they can't stop it. They talk about ash and how it's going to be be. Set. No, it's it's okay. just not right. Okay, let's leave it there. Back to you in the studio, Ian. Justin, thank you very much. Just just stay there on the lines. We can now go to um, the company behind the plans, Violia. Their regional director, Keith McGurk, is on the line from County Hall in Hartford, head of the meeting this morning. Keith, you, you heard that. What, what do you make of uh, what that uh, uh, protester had to say? Yeah, morning, Ian. Morning. Um, yeah, look, we, we understand concerns such as this, but they are misplaced. Um, with regard to the, the plants that we're proposing to build at New Barnfield, then it's a modern, clean uh, incineration process. It's, we will be managed and monitored by the Environment Agency. Emission limits are set by the, by the Environment Agency, and all the plants that we operate in the UK and Bar- New Barnfield will, will be no different. All operate well within those limits that are set by the Environment Agency. Why do you feel this is needed? Why do we feel that the plant is needed? Yeah. Well, it's needed for Hertfordshire, a solution to Hertfordshire's residual waste problem. Today, uh, as much as 380,000 tonnes of, of household residual waste are deposited in landfill. That's not economically viable. It's not environmentally friendly. We need a long-term solution for Hertfordshire's residual waste, and this plant actually offers that solution. Ultimately, though, it, it, it's about money, isn't it? Keith? It's, it's partly about money for Hertfordshire. Um, this proposal, if it's approved, and once the plant is operational, it will save Hertfordshire County Council and its residents as much as £780 million over the life of the contract. So, in part, money, yes. Uh, we live in a, an ever-increasing, uh, expensive world, and, and this is a way of uh, saving natural resources and saving money. Keith, why this specific location? This specific location, it was a reference site that was offered initially at the start of the procurement process. We looked at it uh, as an opportunity and we felt that as a reference site it was a good site. Uh, However, it didn't stop us exploring alternatives, but we came back to this particular site. It was the best available site to develop this facility. How confident are you that councillors are going to give this plan the thumbs up? I'm always confident, but I don't don't want to be overly confident. I think we've put a a good case and a good application forward. It will be heard today and and over the course of today and tomorrow. Um, I'm confident that our proposal is good. I can only hope that members consider it the same. Uh, Roy, you've been listening to what Keith has to say. He seems to put forward a, a reasonable and balanced argument, doesn't he? No, not really. I mean, he's given the uh, been given the site for nothing by the council. Uh, it's an easy option. He's been given huge amounts of money by government for the survey. Uh, he's just going through the lip service, and he's going to kill us. Uh, there's no nice way of putting well, these Roy, toxins. I'm going to chuck out. Roy, uh, can I interrupt? I, th- I, I, I can listen. I can understand why you're upset. I think saying he's going to kill you is a little bit strong. We had an expert. No, it's I know. not strong. It's we, not. No, no it's not strong. The, can I just make a point? We had an expert in earlier on who said that there are very few toxins that come out of these plants. Oh, there's only going to be a few that's going to kill us, is there? You know, you, you, you are looking, looking at all the evidence yeah. that building an incinerator that's going to shuck out toxins in the middle of a housing estate with thousands of people, schools, but the evidence, all these things, are, it's just not right. But the evidence there are suggests loads it's of not other places that you could Keith, buy at very low cost Keith, uh, if you could have just used the government money in that way. Keith, the, the, uh, you're using phrases like chucking out toxins, and, and it isn't. The science behind it seems to imply that... No, there you don't need much size. The toxins science. are minute. 
Yes. The, 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 there won't be very many toxins coming out. That's what the science is suggesting. Yeah, well, the, no, no. Uh, have a look again. Just just Google it. Just we had an expert a couple in. of minutes. I don't trust you anything know, I read on the internet. I'll tell you that. We had, listen, we had someone on Facebook, Roy, say, where do these protesters want the rubbish to go? Where would you suggest this rubbish goes? Well, hang on a second. We are now recycling yeah. rubbish. Uh, and the amount of rubbish that's now uh, being recycled is enormous. But it's still not uh, enough. We've only just started. It, it's only been in the past year that we've had recycling bins. Okay. So you're now saying that that's a waste of time. No, Give no. it up. We're going to burn it. Not so, no, um, not so that talking. Uh, Roy, I'm just asking that someone on Facebook has, has posed the question, and it is a good one. If you don't want the, the, this, this uh, rubbish to be burnt here, where do you suggest the rubbish goes? Okay. You can't recycle everything. If you want to go out and buy an incinerator and chuck it somewhere, yeah. why put it in the middle of a load of people that are actually right. living there? Roy, let me ask, let me ask Keith. Keith, why, why put the incinerator in the middle of a load of people? Well, it, again, this, this is down to sort of alternative sites, and we've looked at the alternative sites, and there is not a, a, a site better than New Barnfield. It has to go somewhere. Um, we need a centrally located facility. We, want, we need one with good road access links. New Barnfield offers this. Uh, no other site within Hertfordshire could offer the same solution as New Barnfield, and that argument will be put to uh, the Planning Development Control Committee today, and... Um, Hopefully, it's the right argument. We will see, but we, we have we have gone through an alternative site. Roy, Roy has said you are you are going to kill people. We're not going to kill people. Um, I said in my opening comments that uh, the emissions from the plants are managed by the Environment Agency, and all our plants operate well within those limits. Mm-hmm. If Roy wants to look at the references from the the government's own Health Protection um, Agency, then they themselves have, have, have recently reinforced the view that there is no significant uh, health impact on on, on human, human health from emissions from a modern, uh, well-run facility. Which Keith, listen, we're going to end it there. Roy, uh, last 20 seconds to you. What's, your, what's your, your, the final thing you want to say, Roy? That they're lying to us. Uh, we, we have clean air here. They put clean air monitors to, to, to build, to, to get measurements from the air, and guess where they put it? In front of a, a ra- road tunnel to, to get as much fumes as possible. OK, Roy, we, ha- we have to leave it there. We're out of time. I think, hopefully, you feel that you got your point across. Uh, thank you very much. Roy's one of the protesters, uh, protesters testing against this um, recycling blow, this, this waste energy plant. Uh, and thank you to Keith McGurk, the regional director from Viola, the company behind it. Right, a little bit late than usual. I do apologise. Let's get the travel news now from Sophie. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Southbound on the M1, we still have delays at the moment between 13 at Bedford and 12 at Flitwick. It is going to take you around 15 minutes to get through that stretch. Also still slow between 9 at Redbourne and 8 at Hemel Hempstead. And anti-clockwise on the M25, the exit slip road is still partially blocked following a broken down lorry at Junction 26 at Waltham Abbey. Now it is still looking like we have delays of 40 minutes anti-clockwise again between 18 at Chorleywood and 15 at the M4. And clockwise a little bit tricky at the moment, just around 22 at St Albans. Now the trains aren't looking too bad at the moment but we do still have delays on First Capital Connect services between Brighton and St Pancras which means it may be so coming in towards Bedford at the moment so do check before you travel. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much Sophie. Right. These are your headlines this morning at 8.18. Apologies for being a little bit late on BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Organisations working with victims of sexual assault say the Jimmy Savile scandal has led to an unprecedented rise in the number of people reporting allegations of abuse. As you've just heard, protesters are heading for Hertfordshire's County Hall this morning as the council looks set to approve building an incinerator on Greenbelt land near Hatfield. In last night's football, Watford lost 2-1 at Cardiff and Stevenage won 2-1 at home to Portsmouth. MK Dons lost 2-0 at Crawley and Wickham drew 0-0 at home to Barnet. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a couple of minutes and coming up, should teenagers learn about the impact of pornography in schools? The National Association of Head Teachers thinks so. Before 8.30, we'll hear from a local head teacher on the issue. BBC Three Counties Radio. Right, joined by Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Good morning, Jonathan. (laughs) (laughs) What are you cackling for as you throw your pen to the floor? (laughs) Very exciting. You should follow us on Twitter, by the way. A, because we're, like, brilliant. And B, because um, you you kind of issued a threat to me on Twitter. It wasn't meant to be a threat. It's just we're going shooting next week. It's all organised. It's all organised. Going to Luton Who? Very luxurious. Have you been there? No, I've not. Oh, I'll fit right in. I think they'll turn me away. No, no, no. But do dress up, won't you? (laughs) God, Okay. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, we're going shooting next yes. week. All I said on Twitter last night was, yes. uh, I just hoped I didn't shoot you by mistake. Yeah, but that that sounds... Th- I feel threatened, so well, therefore I'll try it's- not to. Don't just try not to, just don't. The problem is, when you are shooting, I've only ever done it once before, and as, as the old gun goes off, it, ooh, it goes right back in you, and people have been known to fall flat on their back. Wow. It would be terrible if I was to fall on my back and then shoot you. We're shooting clay pigeons, aren't we? We're not shooting animals. No, no, clay pigeons. Okay, good. Okay, Don't worry. Just, no, no animals will be harmed. Okay. That, that's, um, it's exciting. Are you excited? Yeah. Can I, can I bring like a little tape recorder? We'll record it. Yeah, play yeah, it yeah. On the show. Okay. Play it out. Have you got tweed? Have you got any... <laughs> Is that an aftershave? Why? <laughs> is actually it is isn't it i thought it was <laughs> i've got some of that have you got some tweed we might have to wear tweed uh, i've got no tweed i'll bring my barber oh <laughs> he can do our hair i'm joking it's a form of waxed jacket <laughs> what's happening on your show this morning John? sorry i always ask that as you're cackling and I then know, you have to compose yourself I've got right, serious serious topic nothing to do up. with wax jackets no. or but have you really got a barber <laughs> of course i'm not no, it's not 1987 and I'm not my mum. I've got a barber. Ooh. Coming up on the big phone-in today, should children be taught about pornography in school? The National Association of Head Teachers certainly think so. They want sex education to be updated, made compulsory in all schools from primary age, and to include issues of pornography. The idea is to inform teenagers, uh, and I understand the NAHT uh, are actually saying that it could be children as young as 10 well, to be informed about porn. Yes, it's going to be... A- Listen, stop it sounding like the Daily Mail. It's going to be age-restricted. Well, we'll uh, we'll hear a clip later on my show from a, a representative of the NAHT saying just that, children as young as 10, to be informed about pornography. But they're not, but they're, they're not going to get copies of Razzle out and say, have a look at this. They're going to be explaining how it's exploitative and, you know, and how it's not particularly... Is it a good idea, though, to teach young people, teenagers, children as young as 10, is it a good idea to teach them about pornography? I mean... We've been having an interesting, lively discussion upstairs mm. in the office, myself and my team. I mean, the reality is, pornography is out there. Yes. Like it or not, it's out there, and children can access it, really, at the touch of a button. On their they? phones. They can get it on their telephones, yeah. they can get it on the family computer. You know, children very often understand far more about the internet than most of us adults. Yep. So, th- children can access pornography. Is it better 
to to make children aware of it and to teach them you know this is not normal this is mm. not how a, a a married couple or a loving couple this is not how they behave or do you think that the whole idea why are you laughing what's so funny about that why are you laughing <laughs> unless they're lucky no i'm t- <laughs> sorry no I, I, I can't because i'm i've suddenly become 15 and i'm sniggering like an idiot that's <laughs> but, why. but do you know what there, there is that that very point do you remember when you first came across pornography I do actually, yes. So do I. Yes, it's I very do. exciting. We found at the uh, field at the top of the road. It's we found in a field or a hedge. A small cutting of a woman's breasts, and me and my friend Andrew, we used to get on our BMXs. We hid it under a brick, <laughs> and we used to cycle to the end of the road and lift the brick up and just look at this photo. But do you remember the excitement? That's the reality. Perhaps if you teach children, <laughs> perhaps if you teach children, they'll get aroused by bricks. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, I'm trying to make a serious point here. If you teach children about it, you take away that excitement of the brick. <laughs> but the fact, but the fact is, <laughs> she put it under a brick. But children will find out to <laughs> keep it dry. Put it under a keep it dry. dry. <laughs> there you. <laughs> this is the reality. Children will find out about it, won't they? So, is it better to teach them? <laughs> Nine o'clock, is it? We'll see you then. Thank you, Jonathan. Oh, God. I don't know. Have we, have we still got weather? Has weather got... We'll, 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 we'll see if we can get to the weather. I don't know if he's waiting Let's around. some bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Yes, Phil's still here this thank morning. You, thank you, Phil. Where are you going? A good cloudy, misty start, I'm afraid. Uh, a little bit murky in places, one or two fog patches around, and it's going to be a slow job, I think, uh, improving things this morning. But gradually, as we go through the morning, the mist should thin out, any spots of drizzle will clear, and we'll start to see the cloud lifting as well. So, becoming a little bit brighter as the day goes on, certainly staying fairly mild. Temperatures at the moment around 13 Celsius. And with a bit of brightness coming through, highs nearer 14 or 15 degrees for the afternoon, not too bad in a gentle northeasterly breeze. Overnight tonight, staying cloudy and mild, overnight lows of 11 Celsius will keep any frost well at bay and I think tomorrow starting on a very familiar theme again a rather grey misty start and I think there'll be a few spots of drizzle around first thing but it will brighten up a little more readily tomorrow slightly more in the way of breeze coming along so although it will stay fairly cloudy through the day with some bright conditions coming in for the afternoon having said that it is going to feel that little bit cooler tomorrow as well highs nearer 12 degrees Celsius 54 Fahrenheit and certainly feeling cooler for Friday Saturday and Sunday we'll get some sunshine coming through but with daytime temperatures nearer 9 degrees Celsius or 48 Fahrenheit, noticeably cooler as we go through into the weekend. There's your weather this morning. Thank you very much indeed. There we go. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, the serious face again. Should teenagers learn about the impact of pornography in schools? The National Association of Head Teachers certainly think so. They want sex education to be updated, made compulsory in all schools from primary age, and to include issues of pornography. David Miller is the head teacher of Pebblebrook School in Aylesbury. Morning, David. Morning. Just to get this in context, what kind of age kids have you got in your school? Our children are all key stage three, key stage four, and beyond. They're between eleven and nineteen years old. What do you think about this this plan? Well, I. I would totally agree with it. Um, the current practice in teaching sex education-related issues is outdated. But the reason why I would, I mainly support it is because I'm fully aware of the enormous impact, the wide range of, of media, 
um, outlets that all children are using that has a huge influence on them. And I think we could balance that up by our teaching and our delivery of education issues like this in school. Now, listen, we're talking about the word pornography, and we have been giggling like schoolgirls, but Mm -hmm. uh, there is the... the, the, It's not... Uh, the, showing them pornography, it's teaching them about the issues of pornography, which yeah. is a completely different thing altogether, isn't it? Is that something that you would you would welcome into your school? Well, absolutely. I haven't got in front of me exact um, data or information about exactly what the damaging effects are, but I do have an understanding of what they can be. Mm. And I, I just think it's very wise to balance up what could be a damaging um, situation with some clear teaching and support for the pupils to understand that this could happen and how to deal with it. But it goes beyond pornography. It goes into violence and mm. foul language. I have parents at my door all the time wanting us to um, to support the pupils in having to understand this. And I say to them, you know, we can work together, but there's a huge media out there we can't control, and it makes it very, very difficult. So I think direct teaching would be a great help. <sighs> Parents listening to this, though, um, mm. will kind of be going, I'd imagine, will be going, oh, no, no, you're not teaching my Johnny about mm-hmm. this, you know, mm-hmm. or my, my Mary about this. What mm-hmm. would you say to those parents, David? Well, I would obviously say similar to what I've just been saying, that I think we need to balance things up. However, of course, you know, all parents would be fully informed about um, what any school is potentially going to do about this and get their agreement on it. I think it's something worth, um, you know, talking in detail with parents about but and uh, giving them a choice. But I'll be trying to persuade them that, as I say, using this word, there needs to be a balance, a redressing of the balance, because it is far too uh, tipped in what I, what I consider the wrong direction. David Miller, thank you very much, head teacher of Pebblebrook School in Aylesbury. And uh, don't forget, Jonathan Vernon Smith will be back with the big phone in today. He's asking, should children be taught about pornography in schools? And uh, also, should they be taught about other uses for bricks as well? Uh, he's saying that about getting pornography on, on your phone. It's not that easy. You need Now, no, listen, before I go into my story, I've not tried to access it on my telephone, but I have tried to access, for research purposes... No, no, I've tried to look at some sites, and because they... they <laughs> I'm not, I've tried to look at some sites that my phone has, has believed... No, I'm going to get out of this hole. I can get out of this. That my phone has interpreted as having an adult nature. There we go, you see. And it won't let me do it unless I give, like, my credit card to prove how old I am. Now... Don't! I don't have a credit card. And it says you can either give your credit card or you can go into your T-Mobile or O2 shop and they'll unlock it for you. I'm not going to go into a a phone shop and say, listen, I want to um, access a site. It's not mucky, right, but my phone thinks it's mucky. Could you unlock it for me? Oh, yes, sir, of course, sir. We'll do that straight away. Just going to do the adult unlock for Mr Lee on his telephone. I'm not doing that. So it's not quite that easy. Anyway, I'll shut up now because um, I'm probably going to uh, not be here tomorrow as I lose my job. Right, where's Sophie? Here she is. Sophie, help me please. Thank you. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Southbound on the M1. We still have delays at the moment between 13 at Bedford and 12 at Flitwick. Delays there over around 20 minutes. And it's also looking fairly slow as well between 10 at Leafton Airport and 9 at Redbourne. Now we're also getting reports coming in that one lane is blocked and it's looking very slow following an overturned vehicle. That is Londonbound on the M1 again between 7 at the A414 and 6 at the M25. Waiting on more details there. I'll bring you that as soon as possible. Anti-clockwise on the M25. The Exeter Road is still partially blocked following the broken down lorry at Waltham Abbey at 26. And we are 
are looking at delays of nearly 40 minutes between 18 at Chorleywood and 15 at the M4, while clockwise it is still so at Junction 22 at St Albans. Everything else not looking too bad. The usual delays for this time in the morning causing a few problems, but nothing that should be holding you up for too long at all. That's the latest. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. Excellent work at re- resuming normal order. Let's get the... Oh, it's 8.30 exactly. Time for the news and sport now with Catherine Boyle. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. The headlines. Organisations working with victims of sexual assault say the Jimmy Savile scandal has led to an unprecedented rise in the number of people reporting allegations of abuse. Protesters are heading for Hertfordshire's County Hall this morning as the council looks set to approve building an incinerator on Greenbelt land near Hatfield. And a pensioner from the Hertfordshire village of Fernix Pelham has been jailed for five years for sexually abusing a child 12 years ago. Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Nine men Watford lost 2-1 at Cardiff in the Championship last night with Daniel Poodle sent off a violent conduct and Nathaniel Chaloba for a second bookable offence. Hornets boss Gianfranco Zola says poor discipline has cost his team. We lost uh, probably a temper, our temper for a second and we've been punished for that. And uh, I feel sick for the players because... Uh, they worked so hard to get to that point today and uh, they were so close to do that and uh, to be honest, uh, they, they would have uh, deserved that. Stevenage remains second in League One after a 2-1 win at home to Portsmouth but the Borough are now just a point behind leaders Tranmere who lost at home to Doncaster. Also in League One, Milton Keynes Dons lost 2-0 at Crawley. Dons boss Carl Robinson saw his side miss some guilt-edged chances and hit the woodwork twice. It's not the player's fault. You've got to have a look at me. Actually, and I'll take all the criticism by everybody. The game is always going to open up but uh, like I say, it's just one of them things. And it's like, it is a broken record. I'm a disappointed, gutted. Well, the players disappointed, devastated, yeah, obviously, because we care. Wickham drew 0-0 at home to Barnet in League Two with caretaker manager Gareth Ainsworth taking consolation from their second clean sheet in three games. And Luton will host Nuneaton in the FA Cup first round after the Borough beat Telford 1-0 after extra time in their fourth qualifying round replay. In last night's Champions League matches, Manchester United won 3-2 at home to Braga. Chelsea lost 2-1 away to Shakhtar Donetsk and Chelsea uh, Celtic lost 2-1 in stoppage time at Barcelona at the New Camp. Tonight, Arsenal at home to Schalke and Manchester City are away to Ajax. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at nine. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Blind dates, incinerators, pensions. <laughs> that's what's coming up. That's what's coming up in the next half an hour. It, it's there. Simple as. Oh uh, eight four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number. If you enjoyed um, the, the little handover I had there with Jonathan Vernon Smith, who I, I really must have a word with him off air because his behaviour is very inappropriate. Really lowers the tone of this show, which I, you know. Um, he, he's my closing act. Um, we'll, we'll put that out as a little audio book, I think. Some of you have, have, have texted and tweeted saying you found that thoroughly enjoyable. So we'll, we, we'll put that out. Um, should you work for your pensions? It's been suggested. Um, incinerators. Uh, and, w- w- well, it started off as blind dates because the number of blind dates has gone down. How do they know this? I don't know. It's probably an internet dating website that's come out with these figures. I would imagine. I think it is. So... You know, I've never been on a blind date. I don't know anyone who has. And we've had some cracking stories uh, about blind dates. Some, some, can I, may I hold your paw? Oh, dear. This is my sister. No, thank you. Um, some great stories. And if you follow me on Twitter, at Ian Lee, or at BBC 3CR, uh, um, we'll, we'll put some of the best ones out there as audio so you can listen to them again. 
Um, it's evolved, this conversation, as all good conversations do, into internet dating and meeting people on Facebook and how you met your partner. Lucy's in Luton. Good morning, Lucy. Good morning. Uh, no, it's uh, it's it says on, <laughs> I'm trying to make this show all intellectual and highbrow, and it's it's failing miserably. I can see on my screen your story. I don't believe it for the slightest. Could you tell it to me just to make sure that my my team have not made this up? What? How did you yeah. meet your partner? <laughs> well, I was travelling up the M1 um, with a friend. She was driving, obviously, and we stopped in the traffic at Junction 10. Yeah, a, a very romantic junction. I've been there, stopped there many times, <laughs> yes. Um, and I just happened to glance to the side of me, and this guy was parked up in his lorry because they were, um, you know, working on the M1. He was parked up in his lorry. Just happened to look over, eye contact, thought, oh, he looks really nice. So, jotted down his mobile phone number, which was written on the side of his lorry. So, the side of the lorry said, um, this is Steve, this is number 07, whatever it was. Yeah, the name, the name of the company. He was right. in his father's company. It got two mobile phone numbers on the side. Right. So, jotted the first one down. Luckily, it was his and not his father's, because wow. his father's phone number was also on the side. Wow. <laughs> so, I could have ended up going on a date with his father, but no, luckily it was him. Jotted it down, text him. When did you, um, did you text him while you were still stuck in the traffic, or is it later no, on? No, we'd moved on a little bit so I was with a friend and I sort of said to her wow you know he looks really really lovely and um, she said well why don't you text him so I said oh alright then I will yeah why not yeah because that's not that's weird at all is it that's not weird <laughs> no it's not weird Lucy no it's not I was in a brave mood at the time well done you um, so I texted him um, and, and said I'd seen him you know on the M1 at Junction 10 and um, would he like to meet up and he said yes so I guess it was a blind date for him, but not so much for me, because so I knew what he looked like. So he didn't, you couldn't go, I was that blonde girl in the, 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 the Volkswagen, you, you smiled at me. It wasn't anything like that. You just said, I saw no. you, I thought you looked hot. Yeah, I, he, probably, he probably guessed, but well, I don't know, maybe other women were making eyes at him at the time, I don't know, but um, yeah, so we, we met up um, in a, a local pub and we took it from there, and we've been together for, well, six years next March. Six years? So, yeah, so I took a real gamble and it, it paid off. Now, how do you know, Lucy, that he's not out there working in his, you know, taking his top off, digging up ditches and stuff, <laughs> and getting texts from other hot women? <laughs> Well, he doesn't work for the company now, so... Excellent, well done. <laughs> Lucy, that's a, that's a cracking story. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. Who'd have thought it? That's a bold move, isn't it? You see a good-looking bloke on the side of the road, you see a phone number on a... Oh, I'll text that. Yes, I'll, uh, I'll have one of those. Imagine if you'd done it the other way around, if it was a bloke doing it to a girl. Suddenly it sounds a little bit creepy, doesn't it? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. If you can beat that story, then do uh, do get in touch. As you've been hearing this morning, there are plans for an incinerator on Greenbelt land in Hatfield. <coughs> Excuse me, and they're set to be approved today. The proposal for the new Barnfield Waste Plant involves temporarily moving a special needs school. Hearts County Council says this is the best site to burn locally produced waste as well as commercial or industrial waste. Kieran Thorpe is the local local Wellin Hatfield councillor. He's on the line now. Morning, Kieran. Good morning. Uh, well, and Hatfield Council has opposed this application. Why? Because we believe it's bad for the area. It doesn't make economic sense. It's certainly not a suitable place to build a facility of this type. Why is it not suitable? We, we, we've heard that there'll be hardly any uh, wastes or pollutants being thrown into the air. Why is it not a suitable place? There is a special needs school literally right next door to where they want to build this facility. Um, Norries 
produce fumes. Mm-hmm. They would be going right past the front gates of this special needs school for, for children with autism, amongst other things, and it's really going to disrupt them. It's, there's a local uh, wildlife issue. We've got greater crested newts in the area. There's bats in the area. And there's thousands of residents in the local area. It's simply not suitable. Where should it go? I don't believe there should be an incinerator built anywhere. I believe we should be building recycling facilities. They're not building incinerators in London anymore. It's an outdated technology. Is it outdated? Because we had um, Professor Christen earlier on, who's an expert on, on, on waste and stuff, and he says that, 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 that it's kind of the future and that we can't, we can't recycle everything, can we? No, we can't recycle absolutely everything. There are other methods you can use to deal with the, the stuff you can't recycle. You can um, uh, treat it with uh, chemicals and produce actual methane from it. Um, it is an outdated technology. I don't, any, any professor that, that tells you that, I think, possibly needs to go back to school. It's, it's a, it's, it is the past. It is certainly not the future. You're on the new Barnfield Trust, which has been formed to fight the application. How much money yeah. have you raised so far, and where's it coming from? There is over £60,000, I believe, <clears throat> in the account at the moment. Uh, that's come from donations, uh, some large, many small. It's also come, tellingly, from Welling Hatfield Borough Council that have paid £20,000. Um, and that's the most craziest thing. You know, taxpayers, some of their money funds the county council, who want to push this through. And in Welling Hatfield, obviously, some of their money goes to the Borough Council. You are looking to stop it, and they're both controlled by the Conservative Party. Kieran, uh, am I right that you're outside County Hall now? I am. What, what's the mood like there? Well, it's early days yet. It's very dark and dingy still. Yes. There's about a dozen protesters so far. I'm expecting over a couple of hundred to come later on. Okay. And, and the mood is very much one of the fines. And whatever happens today, this isn't the end of it. If it gets the thumbs up, then you can appeal, can't you? That's absolutely right. Regardless of their decision today, they can't make their own decision. Um, and we've already received assurances from our local MP that this will be called in uh, to government and it will be absolutely scrutinised. And that, I believe, if it isn't thrown out today, but that is where I think it will fall, because it's a completely shoddy process, and they've left all sorts of gaps and holes in it. OK, Kieran, thank you very much. Kieran Thorpe, local well in Hatfield Council. It's got people angry. If you listen to the show earlier on, people are very, very passionate uh, to this. And our reporter, Justin Dealey, has spent the morning with protesters uh, at Wellham Green. Uh, Justin, what's the atmosphere like there and how many people are there now? Well, it's all calmed down now uh, here in Wellham Green in Hertfordshire. At about 8.20 in, three large red buses arrived in a village to take residents off to this meeting at Harts County Council. About this decision, of course, they have been waiting for it for for such a long time. And this is just one of the pick-up points on the way. And just before these buses left, I spoke to some of the residents. So the buses are about to leave. I'm with Peter Wrighton, who's the vice chair of the Wellham Green Residents Association. Peter, you've organised these buses this morning. That's Just right. tell us why you're so passionate. Why don't you want this to go ahead? Um, well, there's so much wildlife around here. There's a special needs school that's going to be moved where the incinerator's meant to be built. So we're just not going to have it. There's 3,300 people voted against and 10 for. So that speaks volumes, really. A lot of our listeners are saying, oh, here we go again. The NIMBYs are out to play. Where's this waste got to go then, if not here? Well, there are other methods that don't need incineration that has actually turned into compost and things that can be used naturally. There's other sorts that are available. The, the landfill sites could be used to produce electricity and gas anyway, so it's just Harts County Council digging their hills in now, I think. And there is a quote from a viola 
director last night that he wouldn't want one of these waste facilities near his house. Unquote. <laughs> very interesting. Thanks for your time, Peter. Right. Peter, about to get on the bus. Uh, the bus is about to leave. Let me just jump on the bus very, very quickly and speak to somebody who's got a placard here. Uh, madam, good morning. Uh, what's your name? Pat Bacchus. Pat, tell us why you don't want this incinerator to go ahead. Well, uh, for obvious reasons, I've got grandchildren. I really don't want them breathing in toxic smoke. And whatever they tell us, I, uh, I know it, it'll go for at least six miles if, if it's allowed to go ahead. We'll be breathing it in. We won't be able to eat the vegetables in our gardens. It's hideous. And I'm not saying put it in somebody else's back garden. Think of another way of getting rid of toxic waste, please. We're clever enough. Okay, and just before I get off this bus and everybody else jumps on, Robert, a last word for yourself. We spoke to you earlier on. Yeah. You've got your placards here. The, the bus is packed. You must be delighted with this turnout. Yes, I am, and I'm not surprised because if local residents can't get upset and motivated by this issue, there's something wrong with them, quite frankly, because it is going to kill this village and that side of Hatfield. Okay, so the more the merrier. If, if people haven't thrown a sickie to get out here today, they should be ashamed. Well, there you go. Um, you mentioned passion earlier yeah. on, Ian. Certainly lots of passion here. Uh, clearly not happy. And no matter what you were to say to them, regardless of how many waste experts you had live on the programme this yep. morning... They don't believe they, they wouldn't be convinced. We heard from somebody earlier on saying, we're all going to be poisoned here. They just can't listen to the experts whatsoever. And, of course, that decision due later on today, maybe tomorrow, I think the advice would be stay tuned to BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, oh definitely. We're gonna, we'll be following this story as it goes on. A lot of people just on the Facebook, a couple of people on the Facebook page have kind of said, the first one, uh, Drake says where do the people propose their rubbish goes? And Michael has said, I get the impression that the guy speaking at length against the project, I think this was Roy that mm. he's referring to just doesn't want it on his patch. Yep. As long as it's not there, he probably won't care where it's built. I guess he wouldn't. I guess he would really like Hertfordshire's rubbish exported <laughs> to Bedfordshire. Quite possibly. But you heard from that lady in that piece there. She said, "Look, you know, we are very, very creative as a nation. We should be coming up with other ideas." You've heard from other people saying it is outdated. Uh, your previous guest said that. They say it's not the future. It's the past. I have to say, property prices have come up. Somebody said to me earlier on today, "If I want to move, who's going to want to buy?" my yeah. house we're, with this large incinerator nearby we're half a mile away from it here you can see it uh, we could be poisoned again their views not that from Veolia yep. and they're worried that the village will be killed because nobody nobody knew will actually move into the village because they can see these chimneys which are about 75 foot high it's a tough one, isn't it? Justin, excellent report there. Thank you very much uh, indeed. Justin Dealey, who was uh, on the bus with the protesters. 08459 455555. Stephen MK has uh, texted us. 81333, starting his text, 3CR. Where is most of the waste coming from? The incinerator should be placed inside the M25 to minimise traffic. The lorries will cause more traffic jams and vehicle pollution. That's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Let's go to Sophie now and get the latest travel news. Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still looking fairly tricky at the moment, heading south on the M1. 15-minute delays between Bedford at 13 and 12 at Flittick, and also slow again between 10 at Luton and 9 at Redbourne. Also still getting reports coming in that one lane is blocked with very slow traffic following an overturned vehicle around Junction 7 at the A414 and 6 at the M25. Now, anti-clockwise on the M25, the exit road is still partially blocked following a broken-down lorry at 26 at Waltham Abbey, and we still have 40-minute delays between 18 at Chorleywood and 15 at the M4. Now, everything else not looking 
looking too bad. Usual delays for this time in the morning. Shouldn't be holding up for too long, though. We do have delays of 25 minutes still on First Capital Connect services between Brighton and St Pancras. Now, this means that the Brighton to Bedford line will be causing some problems causing uh, coming into Bedford. We may be uh, slightly delayed, so do check before you travel. There's more in 15 minutes. Thank you very much, Sophie. Morning, 8.45. It's Wednesday, the 24th of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Organisations working with victims of sexual assault say the Jimmy Savile scandal has led to an unprecedented rise in the number of people reporting allegations of abuse. Protesters are heading for Hertfordshire's County Hall this morning in a last gasp attempt to stop the council approving plans for an incinerator on Greenbelt land. In football tonight, Arsenal are at home to German side Schalke and Manchester City are away to Dutch side Ajax. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks, dull and misty with the chance of a few showers and a top temperature of 15 degrees. And coming up, blind date, ever been on one? Fewer and fewer people are doing them. I've never been on one. I don't know anybody who has. We've had some cracking stories this morning. We'll find out more before nine. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every Monday to Saturday from 12, Nick Coffer. Just to recap, Steve, one of those maggots... The Troy one? No. (laughs) Under your tongue. Oh, he's done it as well. Oh, my word. There is a maggot under his tongue. No problem. See? Didn't that make you feel slightly unwell? Nick Coffer. Justin Coughlin is the founder of Movember. It's a month to, uh, you know, be proud of your main rocking out moustaches. And we decided as founders that it was time for us to to make a change and make a difference. And we really want to change the face of men's health. My wife would probably not appreciate me having a moustache. Our wedding anniversary just happens to be in November. Nick Coffer, <laughs> Monday to Saturday from 12 on BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 uh, is the telephone number if you want to uh, give us a call. Lots of your reaction today on the show. And I, I've got to say, thank you so much. I, I, listen, it will be easy for us to come in and do a load of stories and tell you stuff. I find it so much better when you tell us stuff. You know, we kind of put things out there and you have your sound. It, it really works for me. If there is stuff that we haven't covered that you think perhaps we should... You can get in touch and let us know as well. It, it, it's, I, hey, listen, I know we're the BBC, but as uh, recent news will, uh, will have proven, there is stuff we can miss. Does if you spot anything that you think we should be talking about on this show, uh, could you give us a call? 08459 455 555. Or email us. Maybe that's, maybe that's the best way to do it. 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Just put in the, the title Ian Lee. And it's I-A-I-N-L-E. Now, blind dates. Almost a third of over 55s have been on one. They are apparently becoming a thing of the past. Over the last five years, only 3% of people have used this form of dating to meet a potential partner. Online matchmaking is far more popular. Our reporter, Victoria Cook, has been finding out what you think. Would you go on a blind date? Is it really a good way to meet your future partner? My last boyfriend I met on Facebook. And had you any idea who he was before you met him? I knew of him. He was from Luton, but I got to know him. Um, Did you ever meet anyone on a blind date? I don't know, maybe. Depends on who's setting me up. If it's a friend who's setting me up on a blind date, I trust their judgement, so yeah, maybe. So what happened when you turned up on your blind date? It wasn't. He was just weird and rude and I didn't like it. (laughs) Never again, then? Yeah, Yeah, why not? Especially if my friend knows that where I am and it's not going to be a creepy one. Yeah, why not? Have you ever been on one before? No. So you'd be prepared to go without seeing them at all? Yeah. (laughs) Would I go on a blind date? I think it's unfair on whoever I was going to be meeting to meet me on a blind date. Do you think it's a good way to meet your future partner? If a blind date's been set up by a friend, it could be very worthwhile because obviously they know you and they know what you might have in common. So 
if yeah. you trust the friend. If you trust the friend. I kind of arranged a date for a friend, <laughs> and she is married to him now. It took eight years, but it did come to fruition after eight years. Uh, we've, we've heard some cracking stories this morning uh, about your blind dead experience. If you follow me on Twitter, at Ian Lee, I-A-I-N-L-W-E, or at BBC 3CR, we'll post a couple of the best calls on there. And also, go to the Facebook page, look for BBC Three Counties Radio on, on Facebook. And what we do is, is after the show, we put the, the best couple of calls or the best clips or the best interviews, we just put two, three or four of those up on there. So you get to listen to it. And of course, you can always listen again on the iPlayer. You can get the iPlayer on your phone now. I was watching the Jimmy Savile documentary in bed last night. Uh, and you can get a radio iPlayer as well. It, it, we're living in the future, kids. There is no excuse not to listen. Ross, good morning, Ross. Good morning, Ian. How are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised by your enthusiasm. Listen up. Sorry? That's my, that's my daughter, oh, that, Emily. Oh, OK. Is, is Emily all right? Yeah, she's fine, yeah. Okay, she's, okay. she's got some toast, if she's all right for a yeah, minute. Yeah, well, Emily, you enjoy your toast. Ross, have you been on a blind date? No, uh, well, I, I haven't, but my sister has. Go on. Do you want me to tell you a story? Yeah, please do. All right, then. All right, my, my sister and her, well, her husband now, they used to both work at a supermarket. They used to work on different departments. They never really met each other because they worked different shifts. Just on the phone to Uncle Ian. Just be quiet for a minute. <laughs> yeah, Emily, eat your toast. Yeah, just be quiet. And um, yeah, they went on different departments, and one worked nights and one worked on the evenings, yeah. on, on the, you know, on days. So they, nev- they never they, they never, kind of met properly? They never met properly, but they were both sort of shared the same kind of friends at work, but yeah. they never actually ever met each other because they'd done different shifts. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> my sister becomes single. And the other person becomes single, and they thought that they thought that would be a good idea for them two to go on a blind date. Like, so their groups of friends yeah. put them on a blind date. They didn't tell each other. They just said, "Oh yeah, we're going to go out on Saturday night. Who wants to come?" So they and what they actually did, they actually sort of basically planted one person at the bar, the other person there, because this this the, the bloke who my sister's now married to, he but, did sort of see a picture of her and thought, oh, she looked quite nice. Wow. Yeah, sorry, it's your sister, Ross. I do apologise. Yeah, this is sounding like a massive military operation. Yeah, and they did, and they they basically sort of they they both wanted them to you know just to have a blind date. So they, there was one group of friends on one uh, side of the pub, the other yeah. one on the other pub, and they basically just basically pushed them together at the bar yeah. and went. This is Kirsty. Kirsty, this is Mick. Oh God! Get on with it, and they—they they actually clicked. They kind of went with that, yeah. realizing that the mel- that, that, that that was actually a blind date, yeah. and um, they got on quite well. And then went out for another date a couple of weeks later, and now they got six kids and they're married. <laughs> and they got a dog. <laughs> so, hang on, six kids? I know. Don't, uh, that doesn't run. I've got one that doesn't run in a family. She's got six. There's something wrong with her. Does, does, does someone needs to have a chat with your your sister, Ross. And it, it shouldn't be you. But, but just 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 to let me let her know how those those things are made because you can stop it uh, apparently Matt's in Luton Matt have you been on a blind date hello yes, w- yes. W- what happened uh, well I I used to work with my brother-in-law yeah now he's gone now but and uh, they kept messing me by he said oh I've got a lovely bird for you Ooh. and uh, yeah, kept what? putting it off putting it off yeah. so we eventually met at the college college pub in Stormbridge yes and uh, we fell in love straight away we've been married 49 years this week. You, oh, congratulations. 49 Absolutely years. Brilliant. But when, the point is, yeah. we broke up. We, I moved to Luton. Yeah. And we broke up oh, for a whole year. Matt. I wrote back to her. She asked her mum. This was, because this story was on with Jonathan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Why am, I get, why am I getting Jonathan Vernon Smith's cast-offs for good? This is the second time <laughs> we've had a story. So, yeah, it was on Jonathan's show. Well, oh, you know what sakes. I'm thinking of Jonathan Smith. He is a great man. Yes. Who's Jonathan Smith? I 
I've forgotten his name now. Oh. So he can't be that good. No, he can't be, can he? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, anyway, uh, no, we... doubt, no doubt in about six months' time I'll get that bloke whose wife lives in um, Blooming Thailand or wherever it is calling, <laughs> calling me up, trying to get some <laughs> carpet shears over. Okay. If you don't listen to Jonathan's show, you'll have a clue what I'm talking about. You're lost. You're lost. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you, you, and you've been together for 49 years, have you? 49 years this week. Excellent well, stuff. Margaret, uh, she's got dementia now. But, you've, met, uh, you've mentioned that, yes, that she's yes, a bit poorly, but you're, you're standing by her, are you, Matt? Oh, yes. Good oh, luck. Yes. Well done, Matt in Lewis. Thank you very much. I don't mind getting Jay. Yes, it's uh, second-hand goods. If you're going to get... Listen, if you're going to get cast off from somewhere, it, it should be from somewhere good. OK? That's, that's, that's the main thing. Um, 08459 455 555 is the phone number. Only a few minutes left of this show. If, if you want to phone Jonathan, that's the number uh, you need to do. Um, Louise in Hartz says on the text, my husband... This is, oh, this is a complicated one. My husband's friend's parents met after a blind date. He'd met a girl and took her number down. When he rang it, Oh, this is great. When he rang it, it was the wrong number. So he asked out the girl that answered the phone because he liked the sound of her. They met up and been married for 35 years. The olden days were weird, weren't they? The olden days were really, really odd, but I love it. Thank you so much. We've had some really good stories this morning, and it's, uh, it, it's wonderful that we do. Another story we're talking about uh, was having to work for your pension. Lord Bichard, a former benefits chief, said imaginative ideas were needed to meet the cost of an ageing society, and he has suggested that retired people should be encouraged to do community work, such as caring for the very old or face losing some of their pension. Well, Ian uh, Pettit is from Bedford Association of Senior Citizens. He joins me now. Morning, Ian. Uh, good morning. Now, you're 87 next month. How are you spending your retirement? Uh, well, I'm very busy campaigning at the present time. That is to keep my brain active. Yep. And uh, secondly, there is so much to do for older people that um, I'm enjoying my retirement. And I think everybody else should enjoy their retirement and they should get help. Now, this Lord who's talking about people doing community work... Yeah. Most people have to do community work to look after themselves. They have to volunteer to look after themselves because services are going down the drain and uh, the uh, uh, social services are under huge pressures to provide care because we've got a whacking great big population of older people all requiring care. Mm. And we want to put our attention on that. This law should be calling upon the government to make certain older people enjoy their retirement, not struggle as many of them are now. And, and, and of course, people do struggle, but some of it makes sense, doesn't it? His suggestion that maybe um, people should do a little bit of community service to, or, or otherwise have their pension cut. That's absurd. Absolutely absurd. Does this chap uh, accept his, his expenses being a lord? Does he go to the chambers and put in an expense fee? I think it's abhorrent that he made that suggestion. People should retire and thoroughly enjoy themselves because many of them have had a struggle in life Mm. and we're going through the biggest depression ever in our lifetime. Well, I hope it's uh, not in our lifetime because I survived with my parents through the slump of the 1930s. But Ian, as, as someone who does do volunteer work, you'll, you'll know how uh, rewarding it can be on a personal level. It's, it's not like doing work. It's very enriching, isn't it? 
Of course it is. And if people have got the capability and have got the time to do it, I encourage it. To be quite honest with you, I work with others campaigning, and uh, it's extremely difficult to get people to come and join you in the campaigning issues, and also many organisations for older people are closing down because they can't get the officers to run the committees. Mm. And so what I'm saying to you is uh, we've got to study the reason why. Uh, I'm quite happy that um, we've got to make certain that this increasing ageing population, we've got to do something to make certain their motivation is there, and from that motivation, we will encourage people to come forward to volunteer. Now, in Bedford High Street, I noticed the Salvation Army have got about six big, large leaflets over their window calling for volunteers, and I agree with you. Come forward if you've got nothing to do, if you're lonely, if you're an elderly person lonely, come forward, volunteer for these jobs, and you'll meet others, and you'll learn what you're entitled to in the benefits, because many people, especially widows, have no idea of what their entitlements are. Ian, thank you very much. Well put. Ian Pettit, he's from the Bedford Association of Senior Citizens. Last word on that is an anonymous text. Uh, if you're texting, do put your name in and, uh, and where you are. Uh, good idea about pensioners working, as long as that also includes the unemployed and those in prison. No work, no pay, no eat. Thank you very much. Uh, just time to say that uh, on Saturdays between 9 and 12, you know Justin Dealey, who comes on this show, he does bits and pieces. He's all right, he's learning, he's learning, he's very keen. Uh, he also does a show on Saturday mornings. Um, great songs, great memories, this Saturday morning from 9. Justin will be looking at the UK and American charts from the 27th of October, 1967. Oh, there's a chance a monkey's record might be played then. They were big then. Also, this is cool. Paul Hardcastle picks his favourite musical memories. School's out this Saturday morning from 9 on BBC Three Counties Radio. I like that Paul Hardcastle. No, 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 19, isn't it? Right, travel news now. Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Anti-clockwise on the M25, the exit slip road is still partially blocked following a broken down lorry at Junction 26 at Waltham Abbey. Still awaiting recovery at the moment, uh, but it hasn't actually been causing any serious traffic problems. Now southbound on the M1, still looking like we have 15 minute delays between 13 at Bedford and 12 at Flittick. And southbound on the M1 as well, just around Newport Pagnell services, it is still looking very, very slow. Now everything else actually not looking too bad. The usual delays are still in place, but not looking like they're causing too much of a problem at all. The earlier overturned vehicle we we had London bound on the M1 around Junction 7. It has since returned to normal. Looks like it has been moved. But don't forget, we do have delays of 25 minutes on First Capital Connect services between Brighton and St Pancras, which means there may therefore be delays heading up towards Bedford. That's the latest. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you very much, everyone who called in and texted and tweeted. Go to the Facebook page. We'll put some of the best bits of the show up on there. I'll be back tomorrow at six. Coming up next, it's Jonathan Vernon-Smith. And if you listen to his show, you may hear some of those calls again on my show about three months' time. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Good morning. Welcome to the JVS Show. I'm Jonathan Vernon-Smith. It's Wednesday morning in Beds, Hearts and Bucks, and on today's big phone-in, I'm asking, should children be taught about pornography in...